Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And today we are going to talk class, but not until after we have done our two less wrong posts like we always do. We're going to talk class after we go to class. That's right. <laughs> and the first lesson in today's class is... Original scene. Yes, which is an interesting post because it is entirely just a quote from somewhere else rather than being any anything new or originally written. But on the other <laughs> hand, like drawing people's attention to one specific interesting thing out of a book is uh, also valuable. And I've had people recommend this book to me from outside rationalist circles. The the uh, what Zen and art, the art and Zen of motorcycle maintenance. Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. That was close. It's yeah. a good book. Yeah, yeah. I, it was recommended to me by my uh, AP English teacher way back in the day, but I never got around to it. My uncle, who works on motorcycles uh, and other vehicles, recommended it. So, isn't it about Che Guevara? Um, no, it, it's maybe I was thinking about the motorcycle diaries. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. the one. That that's a good movie. Uh, oh wait, is that a book? I think it was originally a book. It was probably originally a book. Anyway, so this is a totally different motorcycle with a different dude on it. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's also not. It's just more about Zen. Like from, I mean, this. I think this chapter is probably pretty indicative of what the book is like. Yeah. I don't know if there's yeah. a lot of like, and here's how to replace your whatever on the motorcycle. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was trying to articulate. It's like. Is there not a lot of motorcycle maintenance in it? Well, uh, there is, but it's more about like, it's sort of a story about a guy and and some topics. And parables. <laughs> par- parables like the one in this, ch- in, this, uh, in this post. Yeah. Well, I was hoping like to actually be able to learn something about motorcycle. Like apparently when you read Moby Dick, you learn a lot about whaling. Just in general, there's like suddenly You'll learn stuff about 20 motorcycles. pages about whaling. You learn how insufferably boring it is and how you wish you could throw yourself off the edge of the boat just from being forced to read it. You know, it occurred to me just a few weeks ago how fucking bizarre it is to just go and tether yourself to a giant whale and be like, well... I bet I can float longer than he can keep swimming. That's that's fucking nuts. Yeah, the book feels about that smart. <laughs> Moby Dick, you mean? Yeah, I hated it. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I hated it too. Yeah. I, I hated you... Old Man in the Sea worse. Yes. Did you also read that in one setting? Because it's like, oh, it's a novella. I can just crunch right through this in one set. And like, I, I remember finishing it and just slowly putting the book down and then laying down on the couch. It would have been like 15 like, years ago. I, I can't like remember go. how I, if I read the whole thing or if I finished it or not. And I might be conflating the... Old Man in the Sea with the the other one that we were just the whale one. It's really similar. The entire story, I'll summarize it's it. Is angry, there's angry fisherman. An old man goes out in like a little boat, and then he hooks a big fish, and it's all about how his life's shit. And if he could just get like one good big fish, then he could turn his life around. But like he does battle with this fish and is being dragged around by it, and it's just an entire novel length story about how miserable this guy's life is. And then in the end, he fucking loses the fish, and then he like loses everything, and like, it is just it's just a like book that wants to just punch you in the face repeatedly. I guess so I've read multiple stories like that. I didn't realize they were all like old man in the sea remixes. <laughs> well, I don't know if that was the first one, but see, I'm, I'm bad at picking up. Famous, I'm bad at picking up like lessons and subtleties and and morals from stories. But the moral of that is obvious. His life wouldn't have been any better if he caught this fish. Right? <laughs> he thinks this is what he life wants, is but it's not terrible. really what he wants. Well, it's is what terrible. I took away from that story. Yeah. Like. There was no. Don't be an old fisherman is the moral of the story. <laughs> He's, or, it was or more like do. don't live. Like do it. it's just like life is shit. Just just do it happy, right? Mm. If if you you know being old and fishing sounds tight. If you're into you know into fishing, so I guess the but moral it, of the story is depression is a hell of a drug. That sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the the thing with original seeing yes. is that the, the and this is my so like the the thirty second version. We'll do the longer version. Um, student. It's a parable of a student who's like, hey, I need to write a 500 word, 500 word essay on the United States. It's like, okay, great. You're going to get through, I don't know, nothing in 500 words. Yeah. So the teacher's like, how about just like, just um, this town that yeah, we're in. Just this town. And they're like, I can't think of anything. And then, 
Okay, how about just Main Street? I couldn't think of anything again. Okay, how about the front of the opera house on Main Street? And then that one is like, oh yeah, I started. And then okay, how about the you know a brick? Yeah, it starts on the with top the left. upper left hand brick. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, they come into the five thousand word essay, and they're like, I did it. I saw because this I, I saw it with fresh eyes because mm-hmm. we we're trying to regurgitate I thoughts. with it's one brick, and, and then I wrote about the next one, and then the third, and before long I was writing about the entire facade, and then the windows, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that sounds fun, and I like the parable for what it's going for, but that like the exact example sounds like complete dog shit. Because a, what's the assignment? If you're getting graded, like it can't be write the history of something. Maybe it was. Yeah, you might have I just been writing a, write a historical essay. Yeah. But, but then also the I guess and maybe they did figure this out. But I don't know how you'd, I don't know how you learn the difference of the history of one brick versus the other. And I imagine they're very similar histories. <laughs> well, I don't I don't so, think you actually write the history. She was just write, describing what she was seeing. Oh, see, I thought it was a history uh, assignment. I mean, it probably was, but he said just describe the first brick. Okay, yeah, yeah. then then all right, I'm into that. But I, I'm just thinking like. I could see, you know, if your assignment was, all right, write me a history on this, on Main Street of downtown. Like, you bet. And I give you the origin of the manufacturing of the bricks on one of these buildings, I'd probably get an F, right? I don't because think they're so. like, get, get, well, it depends on your if teacher. You wanted but, a grade, you that would be a really original it. essay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, all right. So maybe the example is less facetious than I thought. But <laughs> um, the takeaway is that if you're tasked with looking at something in a way that is wholly original, you're, you somehow... You, well, not somehow, but you you find yourself able to be remarkably inspired and mm-hmm. and able to actually generate thoughts rather than just try and find new ways to put stuff that someone else has already said. Yeah, yeah. The the I think the way it ends here is the quote that I finally pulled out. I'm not going to bother pull, reading the rest of what I pulled out because you summed it up very well. Hmm. Uh, the end quote was: "She was blocked because she was trying to repeat in her writing things she had already heard. She couldn't think of anything to write about Bozeman because she couldn't recall anything she had heard worth repeating." She was strangely unaware that she could look and see freshly for herself, as she wrote without primary regard for for what had been said before. The, narrow, the narrowing down to one brick destroyed the blockage because it was so obvious she had to do some original and direct scene. Which, yeah, good parable about looking at things yourself rather than, you know, sticking to cash thoughts and regurgitating other things people have said. Yeah, and what's fun is this one gives you virtually no instruction on how to do an original scene. Yeah. And I feel like it's a lot easier to think oh. that you've done one than actually have done one. I feel uh, like the it's kind of explicitly saying break it down into small the smallest components. That I think that's one way, for sure. Um, I, I guess, I mean, you could also do an original scene on the origin of the United States if you just look at it from a different angle, right? And that might feel like a wholly original thing, rather than saying, well, in 16-whatever, Columbus found blah, blah, and just start from there. Um, you, you know, if you if you were to take it from the whatever five ten fifteen thousand years ago of the whatever the ice bridge and you know start maybe with with the uh the native populations or you could even just do like the the history of the geography or something right Mm -hmm. like i guess you can do i guess what i'm saying is you can do original i would think you could do an original seeing on a big thing but you're right being as reductionist as possible with it and breaking it down um that sounds pretty cool and hell if you were to do an original seeing on the bricks you could get all the way back to the Big Bang, right? Yeah. And you could even get there fairly quickly. And then, you know, you could summarize from there to the actual brick. To bake an apple pie, you must first create the universe. Oh, my God. I haven't heard that quote in at least five years. <laughs> uh, I, I used to have this framed. That's a classic Carl Sagan. Yeah, yeah. I used to have this framed piece of artwork of Carl Sagan baking a pie with, Aww. like, the galaxy behind him and that quote on it. I love it. And he was, like, wearing an apron and it was, I don't know. Gotta see if I can find a print of that again. I gotta say, this this um, whole post is also um, very applicable to anyone trying to do art, at least in my experience. 
because when when oh, you're yeah. like I have a blank piece of paper and I can write anything or I can draw anything, it just there's where do you even fucking start? But then like you see a uh, a story uh, story contest or prompt or whatever that says we want 5,000 words on uh, mermaids that kill puppies and like you're right away you're like oh yeah okay I can do something with that you know just putting those restrictions on you and it can't have the color purple anywhere in it you know something like that the more restrictions it puts on you the more you're like okay cool I got something to chew on and go with yeah yeah and it can force you into making something wholly original Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, there was um, uh, I think it's not active anymore but it's called the rattle fiction podcast or rattle fic where the where the the host would read short uh, rationalist stories. Okay. Um, and it's, so you can find that on iTunes or maybe on the website and I had to find the RSS feed myself. But I listened to The Last Christmas on there mm. and I happened to discover it around Christmas. I'd had this feed open <laughs> or I had this podcast whatever on my phone for years before I found that. And then I listened to, uh, I think it's called True Love's Kiss by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Okay. Um, classic kind of reverse Cinderella oh, thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But without giving away the ending. Uh, it's not like Such exactly a, a spoiler, ending. but it's just fun, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, well, okay, now I get it. Uh, the the girl's uh, fiance or something falls into a magic induced coma, a la Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. and only true love's kiss, like uninhibited by anything else, like just just pure love can can wake him, and it doesn't work for her, mm-hmm. doesn't work for her for his parents, and so she kind of is like soliciting the town. And it's like, please, you know, I'm not ashamed. If anyone loves him, can you guys just try? Even if you don't, can we just line up everybody in the town? And like, they're kind of not into it. Yeah. Um. So that, that it was, all right, how do I do a, I'm, I'm kind of guessing on the author's thought. In fact, I think it was in the notes of the story, Um. but it was like, how do I do this story told in an original way? And it's not, you know, a breathtaking new angle on it, but it's a fun new angle and it's a quick story. It is. Um, and it's explicitly rationalist because yeah, she does start thinking of all the other all the various ways she could hack at this problem, right. which other people are like, no, nah, man, we're not lining up everyone to kiss him. <laughs> which so, is, do you think that would actually happen? That the rest of the town would just be like, no, and not do it? Uh, yes, I think that there's no way. I mean. We couldn't get people to wear masks during a pandemic. God damn it. <laughs> people need incentives, right. generally. But like, if it was like a, if it was a smaller, tighter community, maybe. I mean, because, you know, how are you going to line up everyone in Denver to, you know, kiss a an unconscious person yeah um i wouldn't do i probably wouldn't do it especially yeah. if i didn't know him but that's part of the point it has to be you know true love or something yeah but then you know given today's but limits the, the, you could find like a yogi or something who just loves everybody right and like i mean part of the conceit there was supposed to be that like maybe someone secretly loved him and exactly. that is why like her kiss didn't work because someone loved him even more but in secret and so if everyone in town has to kiss him there's plausible deniability whereas if just like one person goes up and kisses him everyone would be like oh <gasps> John had a secret crush on him the whole time? Stone him! Right. So, yeah, original seeing. I like it. What I... It's interesting to think about, because I think it's easy to say, well, I've done the work. I did an original thought on this. But I find that it's easy to encounter people, including, uh, like, myself, where it's like, yep, I did it. And then I arrive at the right... Like, the conclusion that everyone else has. <laughs> um, or even everyone else in my subgroup. Uh, so it's... it's um, I having stupid epiphanies. I find that like happens a lot in uh, therapy, where it's something that like you say, and you, it was the most obvious fucking thing in the world. And it's like, ah, I just had another stupid epiphany. <laughs> I think that sounds valuable. I oh, mean, it is. I, I occasionally come to you know realizations that like, oh, I could have realized that five years ago. Um, but hey, better late than never. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I I what I meant is that it when I said it didn't give like instruction is I don't quite know other than like having had an original thought how I would know if I've done this practice properly. But maybe that's not really the point. Also, it's the short initial post on it, right? So yeah. 
he gets a bit more into it in the next one. He does. Speaking of which. How to uh, seem and be deep. Yes. Uh, okay, so he, he starts out with this cool, not starts out, but there's a cool quote at the front. A fanatic is someone who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. He says, I endeavor to at least be capable of changing the subject. <laughs> you would think he would also never be capable of changing his mind because he's supposed to be a good Bayesian, right? Yeah. But it was just a funny rejoinder to that. Yes. Yeah, the fanaticism. It's a, yeah, it's a cute quote. Uh, but yeah, he was talking about how he was at a uh, ta- place where people were just talking, you know, more hidden deep kind of stuff. And uh, a lot of people were talking about death and that uh, death gives meaning to life and death is really a blessing in disguise. And he was apparently like the only transhumanist there. And um, he tried not to be fanatical or something, but would like push back very cautiously sometimes about how generally, you know, death is not a great thing. And uh, and that it's just not not a thing that we should valorize. He specifically phrased it, he says cautiously, uh, as transhumanists generally positive on life, but thumbs down on death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I guess everyone... Apparently, several people came up to him afterwards and said it was really deep. Yeah. I like I that. Like, That's well, I guess I am. But this got me thinking about what makes people seem deep. <laughs> Eliezer. Yeah. <laughs> I, li- I like, too, that, you know, thumbs down on death, thumbs up on life is, like, a very, like, soft way of putting it. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, great ice- great way to break the ice on that subject to somebody, I guess. Yeah. It's like, no, nah, thumbs down on that subject, actually. What? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, he, he as, as you said, he was like trying to figure out why did people think that he was really deep and he was going over some of these interactions. There was one woman who said that uh, when I have a nice thing to say about someone, now I try to say to them right away instead of waiting because you never know when someone's going to die and then you wouldn't have been able to tell them the thing and you want the last thing they heard from you to be a nice thing, right? And he said at one point, that is a beautiful thought and even if someday the threat of death is lifted from you, I hope you will keep doing it. Uh, which, you know, cool. And then someone else was spoke about uh, some benefit, X of death, and he doesn't remember what the benefit was. And he replied with, you know, given human nature, if people got hit on the head with a baseball bat every week, pretty soon they would invent reasons why getting hit on the head with a baseball bat was a good thing. Uh, but if you took someone who wasn't being hit on the head with a baseball bat and asked them if they wanted it, they would say no. I think if you took someone who was immortal and asked them if they wanted to die for benefit X, <laughs> they would say no. Yeah, and that, that sounds like the kind of an application of the original seeing right where mm-hmm. like okay let's take this and remove the context and just say is this a good thing everything else aside right yeah and it's like well and, and when you phrase it that way no yeah. how could you possibly sell somebody on an eight decade lifespan or a um i don't know i mean especially it, it, when the last three four decades of that your body is slowly disintegrating <laughs> and getting worse yeah i mean and then i'm trying to think of like other non-easy targets you know like uh or even ones that like don't sound deliberately edgy, but all my thoughts are like politics, right? Hmm. So, like euthanasia. Yeah, maybe. Um, or or like, I mean, just the the way that our democracy works in the U.S. or something, right? Uh-huh. Like, oh, sure, it's a you know maybe it's it's the canned phrase from Franklin about like it's the worst system of government there is, except for all the other ones. <laughs> um, but or whether one of the founders was supposed to have said that. Um, it's just like I thought it was Churchill. Uh, I feel like it was. Oh no, Franklin said, um, like they when allegedly, you know, when they come out of the the courthouse in Pennsylvania and they're like, What sort of government have you, have you given us? It was like a democracy if you can keep it, I think was the uh, quote cool. I was thinking of from Franklin. Um I'm amazed that we've kept it this long. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is like <laughs> I think it sounds like a great idea, but like if you take it if you look at it with with fresh eyes and just look at what you've got, 
Uh, I think he uses the example in the other post, uh, or maybe even in this one about education and lost purposes. That's a good, that's a good easy example. Like, what does college look like? Well, I'm getting an education so I can get a good job. And it's like, are you doing either of those things when you're sitting there learning 12th century underwater basket weaving yeah. to and pass you your not. test? And like, for the most part, no. Trade schools are tight. Yeah. That's like where, hey, I'm here to learn this so I can get a job doing this. You betcha. Um, and there are like actual schools that do that sort of thing, not just like software boot camps. You can do that for like automotive repair and everything, right? Yeah, but those are low class. Yeah, they're low class. We'll get there. <laughs> Hold that thought. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're that... done with. No, no, no. I shouldn't transition yet. No, you're good. Uh, the I guess what I'm getting at is that like people, and this is explicitly why I went to college was. Uh, 75% probably more if I'm uh, being honest was a sense of social inadequacy mm-hmm. I wasn't doing anything with my life and it was it became especially stark when I bumped into somebody from high school and they're like I thought you'd be doing something more interesting and I'm like fuck me you're right and so I'm like well you know what's a good answer to say what are you doing you know um, oh people who are in school you know oh, I'm, I'm I'm going to college that's what I'm doing that's the entire reason I went that, that's the overwhelming majority of the reason um, I can't think of I mean I guess I sort of went there to learn stuff but and like I tried to pick something that I was actually interested in, mm-hmm. that I felt like I was going to do something with. I I, I got an undergraduate degree in uh, uh, science of psychology, and I say science because most schools it's a liberal art major. Um, so I had to take some science classes and realized my second semester in because I already had my undergraduate or my whatever core credits out of the way from uh, what do you call it community college, mm-hmm. and. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually super boring. Turns out reading psychology research is a lot of fun. Doing it is insanely boring. Uh-huh. And this will not be fun for me. So I realized immediately, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. But I'm, I'm here. As long as I'm in school, I can at least tell people I'm in school. That's what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. Um, I, I went because I knew from I don't even know how long, as far back as I can remember. So at least elementary school, that um, that was the life path. You do really good in school, then you do really good in high school so that you can get into a college. And then you do good in college and then you get a job. Like, there was just no question ever about it. Going to college was part of the life track. And then, yeah, I dropped out after one year when I was like, this is shit and I don't want to do it. And I'm not doing what I wanted. You know, it's like, this isn't actually advanced. It's once, once like, you're at college age, after you've been old enough to sign the loans, mm-hmm. that's when you start to, like, come al- on- online enough as a person to realize, like, wait, this isn't actually advancing my, my personal agenda of, like, self-actualization towards what I'm trying to do. Yeah. But... Since you get to sign those loan papers at 17, you're not, you know, at least when you're me, you're not really a sentient person yet. And you're like, oh, great. I'm in debt. And uh, I guess I'm already here. So might as well finish it. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Okay. So um, he, upon further reflection, figured out, or at least suspected that he came across as deep because he coherently violated a cached pattern of deep wisdom in a way that made immediate sense. Because there's this stereotype of deep wisdom. That uh, death, complete the pattern. Complete the pattern. Somebody. Death gives meaning to life. <laughs> okay, I, I guess I'll do it. No, we're all looking at like screens and you're looking around at us. Yeah. Um, Everyone knows this is the standard deeply wise response, but they will not be surprised. It carries no experience or insight. One might call it belief in wisdom. And uh, yeah, that was his point that everyone knows it's wise, but uh, <laughs> not surprising at all. And he was surprising. They may even say, what deep wisdom? Perhaps in hope of being thought deep themselves. Hmm. But he also points out that, like, the the transhumanist school of thought has its own cash thoughts there. Yeah. And this is where it's like, yep, I've done my original seeing, and I've con- come to the exact same conclusion as the transhumanists. Yep. Death, complete the pattern. Death is a bummer that we should get, or death is a, a pointless tragedy that we should do our best to get rid of. Yeah. And it's like, that sounds all original, because fewer people f- think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's the wrong idea. That's I think that's the tough part. You just kind of got to, like, 
dig around and think and like, okay, yes, I happen to have come to the same conclusion as my peer group, but I'm kind of wary of that fact because, uh, you know, is this some social pressure, me trying to, to make sure that I fit on the same like intellectual level as them? Or is it like, is this my actual thought? Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, another key component to seeming deep, which was that if you're conveying, you know, because every, I guess there's two components. Um, one, you have to have all these thoughts cached in advance because that's where every good thought comes from. Yeah. Generating thoughts on the fly sounds like me rambling on in a sentence and you sound like an idiot. <laughs> yes. And Yeah, he said that he already had all these thought patterns as automatically as he breathes. Exactly. And then the other thing is to be able to con- con- convey them with minimum inferential distance. I think he specifies one step, but I think if you, you could do a couple and still sound really deep. Yeah. Um, he said that was the hard part. Yeah. The part that made him seem deep was being able to just have that one inferential step rather than be bizarre out of nowhere. Yeah, and it's interesting because I've heard people who who you know say long things that are sound bizarre out of nowhere because they haven't conveyed the distance and they just sound dumb or insane. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's like that might be a real coherent thought, but you've not convinced, you've not bridged that 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 crevice for me. And of... he pointed out that transhumanism is like got its own whole coherent uh, philosophy that many people have spent a lot of time thinking about and making cohere. And so the fact that he was able to present a unified coherent thought. Uh, was very important because it wasn't just original. It was also original and made sense internally. Right. It made sense to the listener too. Yeah, yeah. And it was like more than just one thought. Like you can have a deep sentence that you got cached somewhere, but then someone asks you to expand on it, you've got nothing. (laughs) Um, You clearly reveal yourself to have just like, you know, and this is something that, God, I mean, it doesn't have to be a smart thought, but, you know, like a random cached thought, you know, if uh, I think about this, like dinner party I went to a few years ago, once every couple of months. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're playing, um, uh, what's that? Uh, uh, Cards Against Humanity. Ah. And I mentioned this in the context of other posts with like applause lights and everything. Mm-hmm. But it would be, you know, somebody would throw in some random jab about, oh, yeah, America is the worst and basically get a round of applause. Mm-hmm. But if you ask them to expand on that, they can't. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why, is it, you know, what specifically? Uh, well, uh, you know, um, racism. And it's like, well, okay, sure. But like, more... no other country has that. Yeah, we invented it. <laughs> um, speaking of, I saw SNL this morning. And it was the guy from Get Out. Okay. And it was a bummer because he's remarkably unfunny. Oh. And, you know, like most SNL episodes have like, like one or two good sketches. Like the main character from Get Out? Yeah. Or? Okay, okay. I forget the guy's name. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like his opening sketch was like, oh, I know because he's British. And he's like, I know what you're thinking. He's British. Oh, no, he's not black. Don't worry. I'm black and British. <laughs> and it's like, we all know who, you know, uh, Idris Elba is. Like, we're, yeah. we're aware that this can happen. Um, but well, there's also a thing right now where the capital B letter black are, applies only to uh, American people who are descended from slaves or something. Ah, uh, like there's a whole new uh, woke vocabulary around that. I, I'm lucky I don't buy the woke dictionary and read it then, because <laughs> I remember years ago like being confused that uh, African American is what you're supposed to call black people. Right. Um, I'll call anyone who you know who, what they want to them to to them, but if I'm talking about a group, because at the time most black people I knew weren't african weren't african-american in any guise yeah. one you know one was jamaican one was french canadian and it's like so you know calling you african-american is like oh you're black you must be from africa right it felt so condescending to me yeah um and then and calling all, black people from other countries african-american is... that that's that was the last uh straw was i saw something about you know african-american british actor uh, <laughs> it was elba being considered for james bond Okay. And I'm like African American British actor. Okay, yeah, this isn't this is nonsense. It wasn't just me. Great. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what I brought that up because oh, a lot of his stuff was those sort of just like random 
quick jokes about like oh don't worry it's I, I can't think of any examples point is it was like applause lights but it, it's it's like almost a deep thought but it's like there's no substance to it and you can tell or many people can tell i think that it's like oh yeah there's you know this is yeah. this is just a shiny coat of paint and there's nothing underneath like, it good comedy is actually subversive mm-hmm. which i guess often means that it is an original thought yeah i mean i think and it, it wasn't just the jokes i think i mean don't get me wrong it's it's i'm not sure if the the guests write their own monologues or what um Let's see, was there anything else on seeming and being deep? Like uh, having a coherent philosophy that's easy to explain and non-typical seems to be the, the one-sentence summary, right? Yeah. He did also point out that an economist once remarked that popular audiences are so unfamiliar <laughs> with standard economics that when he was called upon to make a television appearance, he just needed to repeat back Econ 101 in order to sound like a brilliantly original thinker. This was written about 15 years ago, this post. Do you think this is, this still, is still true? That's still true? I have this experience with any... Uh, uh, anyone I try to talk to about economics who's not like in in this circle directly. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, we're in our bubble so much that like it seems like the sanity water line is up, but that's because we're just swimming in the deep end, maybe <laughs> or the shallow end. I'm not really sure. Yeah, but and it's not to say everyone's dumb. It's just like you know, in 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 fairness, you know, most people haven't heard any kind of one on one lecture, and so they hear stuff, and it's kind of like the joke. There was one of this on like American Dad, where uh, the daughter's like in her first week of college. And she says something about something, and oh, how's that Psych One One class teaching you? Well, it's only been a week, but I know how I know how the whole world I know how the whole world works now. Mm. And it's like that that sort of that that the joke there is that like you these are original thoughts that you haven't had you know that you haven't been exposed to yet. Yeah. And it you know it sounds deep and profound and smart, and in a way it is because it's new to you. Yeah. Um, but it's not like this is not the 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 edge of humanity's grasp of the subject, right? It's just it's just yours. I have, over the last 15 years, started to see more and more of the death is a bad thing idea seeping into popular culture. Is that just me looking for it, or is this actually a thing that's happening? Um, I mean, we still get a whole bunch of deathist crap in the media, but every now and then, I see something that really makes me hopeful. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping it's a positive trend. I mean, I remember we talked to Eliezer about this a few years ago, back when... Uh, Harris was hinting that they were going to write a that he was going to write a book on the on AI, mm-hmm. um, and I'd asked him. I was like, you know, it seems like more and more conversation about AI seemed. I don't know if we caught him on a bad day or if he actually feels this way, but I was like, it seems like more and more conversations these days about AI are less about like the Terminator and more about like actual content. Yeah, and he just said twice because I think I reiterated the question. He's like, I am not optimistic or hopeful about you know the public conversation on this or something. Okay. Um, and maybe again, maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe he's. He's definitely, you know, more, he's got his uh, ear to the floor there more than I do, but I feel like it's more positive. More conversations coming down from people like Bill Gates and Elon Musk and, you mm-hmm. know, names that people listen to mm-hmm. aren't talking about the threat of bipedal robots shooting us in the face, right? Yeah. It's like- Or oh, saying just unplug it. Right. Yeah. I mean, even Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, came around completely on that, right? Mm-hmm. And he's a popular science figure, so- uh, Well, that's because, <laughs> I don't know, um, that's because AI exists now. Uh, we have- like we're gonna have self-driving cars we have gpt3 uh there's some really cool services now using it like um i'll have to see if i can find the service and put it in show notes but there is a gpt3 powered article writing software now where you just tell it like i want you to write an article for this kind of blog and on this subject and add in quotes from this thing and like uh, i don't know just uh sort of you can make it as detailed or easy as you want and then just be like generate and it'll like generate a title and then it'll start writing nice. <laughs> and uh i haven't tinkered with it yet i'm I think it might be for pay but uh 
yeah, there's there's a few things out there like that now that I've I've seen people uh, tinker around with and re- and do reviews of, and they look pretty powerful. Still not quite as good as a human article writer, but like one human article writer can I do the work of ten just by yeah. using that and yeah, culling, it's tightening up a little. He ends so all of that was about how to seem to be deep to yeah uh, read about um, non-standard philosophies that are uh, that are well thought out. He said to actually be deep, you got to think for yourself about what's wise or important. And uh, it's not necessarily coming up with an unusual answer, but it does mean seeing for yourself, and links back to the previous post, uh, rather rather than letting your brain complete the pattern. So key, key points to this is don't stop at the first answer, uh, cast out replies that you see as vaguely unsatisfactory, and spend a lot of time on it, because if you keep mulling over the stuff for a while, eventually your thoughts may form a coherent whole. Yeah. In time, your thoughts will form a coherent whole, flowing from the single source of yourself, rather than being fragmentary repetitions of other people's conclusions. Just wanted to. It's funny that I sentence because it's it's good. I like that too. It's fun because I tr- you know I don't know if I'm getting there. I'd have to you know do another deep dive on all my beliefs. So give me ten minutes because I don't have that many. <laughs> um, for the most part, most of what I believe is amalgamations of what like is what I try to like synergize from other con- you know other thoughts that have come to me from other sources. And then I try to I try to make something fresh out of the combination thereof, right? Mm-hmm. And that's still like original, but it's you know I didn't make the ingredients; I just made something new out of it, right? Well, literally everything is a remix. I mean, yeah, but you can you can independently discover something, right? Yeah. And so th- that can be yes, so someone else already had this thought, but you didn't know that it came to you fresh, right? Um, you know, no doubt. Uh, I don't know who, but it's always you know sparked by or outgrowths of other things that you've already run across or that you already know. Probably. Yeah. I mean. Like, I'm not sure who gets credit for being the founder of the transhumanist school of thought, but they're no doubt the first person to think that death is bad, right? Right. Um, I think that this article is not saying original thoughts have to be wholly original. They, like, it has to be original from your brain, uh, but, like, not... I'm the first person who's ever thought this thing. Yeah. Like, the that was sort of the distinction between seeming and being deep. I do think it's really important that he, you know, he says, oftentimes you will just get the standard answer because... Uh, you know, if you if you have to find a non-standard answer in order to feel like you've won, then that leads you down into conspiracy theory land. Yeah, you're gonna have to be completely yeah. nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, most things, the common accepted wisdom is probably true, right? Yeah. All right. For next week, we are reading the logical fallacy of generalization from fictional evidence. I just talked to Rachel about that yesterday. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, or at least it's a fun one. And hold off on proposing solutions. All right, we should actually get to the topic though. Yeah. So we are talking about the. Um, I'm on the wrong mailbox. Primary. Uh, a modest proposal for Republicans, or was it the book review? I mean, it's about just the whole. How about? It's class stuff in general, based around that. Yeah. Astral Codex tends. Essays on class. Right. I keep forgetting it's Astral Codex 10. Just call it Codex. <laughs> that works. I don't know. ACT runs... I mean, Act. it's already an, it's already a, an, ac, an acronym, an but acronym. SSC was, you know, so ingrained for so long. But yeah, it's going to be hard to change. There was a book review we did a few months ago on... And it's not ACT, it's ACX. Huh? Well, I look at the, oh. at the at the word 10. I know, yeah. but I, I guess, I don't know if this is supposed to be in-group signaling or a marker of higher class that used num- Roman numerals, but... Well, the website is astralcodexten.com. If yeah. you wanted it to be astralcodexx and say 10, then you could have done that. That and would have been didn't. just two X's. But everybody <laughs> abbreviates it as ACX. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're all doing it however they want, you know? <laughs> Okay. All right. So there's a 1983 book called uh, what? Uh, 
class, a guide through the American status system. Right. And that was some months ago. And, or was this before or after his post on February class? 24th. Okay, there we go. I can't remember which one came first. I guess I can just check. The Trump one was after that. Or the oh. Republican one was after that. Yeah, so it was... Uh, oh, it was the day after. Okay. Um, so I thought that it was like a while ago he read this book. Then he kind of put together this original thing. But I guess he was doing them at the same time. Um, the... I, I recommend reading the, the book review of, uh, by Fusel, Fussel, I'm assuming Fusel. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, Fussel. Fussel. I don't yes. know. It was, it was just fun. Like, the guy... He writes it, great book reviews. And even, uh, yeah, so Alexander writes great book reviews. I don't know if I could recommend the book to people just based on the review, but I can reckon, recommend the review to people based mm-hmm. on the review itself. Um, apparently the guy, it's hard to tell when he's being serious or not, but he's basically trying to decide, like, all right, what is upper class and middle class and lower class look like mm-hmm. um and he, i think his definitions are probably slightly too constrained which he talks about a bit when he's respo- with uh, alexander talks about when he's responding to it a bit mm-hmm. um i guess scott talks about and i said scott alexander whatever yeah um, one. yeah he has two first names that's right um acx talks about see that's just terrible that's nah, awful um anyway uh where do we want to start with this? Well, good good question. <laughs> I, so I want to start actually way before this, but we'll jump into it in just a second. Remember when we talked about, when we had that episode about um, the four settler groups in America? Mm-hmm. I'll be on seed. I'll be on seed. That's right. Um, this, Another excellent book review. It is. This reminded me a lot of that because I think Alexander has been, or Scott has been leading up to this for quite a while or maybe it's just been an evolving line of thinking on no his i point. was gonna bring that up uh in response to these subjects because i as i was reading them i kept being put in mind of earlier essays on politics that mm-hmm. he had written uh and i think finally now he's like getting to the big reveal the the prestige part of the magic show or he's like just dis- at least discovered another component of it could be yeah like that's true he's probably like learning as he's writing but is this an original thought? <laughs> I think it is. The hand with the butterfly, yeah. which our listeners couldn't see, but yeah. The um, So yeah, I mean, like that, I guess what it comes down to is that culture is really important and culture matters and class is basically another type of culture. It's... Uh, or there's a cultural component to class. A uh, strong culture. I think, not just a strong culture component, I think class is basically just culture because he makes the argument here that you don't have to be rich to be upper class and you can be extremely rich and still be uh middle class or lower class yeah there's um maybe some distinction about like class also being your beliefs and values yeah uh, yeah which is culture but yeah it's just uh, hmm. so I'm, he says I'm that i'm trying to think sorry i'm just trying to think of examples of things that aren't in struggling but gone <laughs> in in the book fusel's book or fussel's book uh he says that upper class is old money uh, they, the people that you think of as rich and famous, uh, whether they're tech billionaires or celebrities or whatever, are not upper class because you, to be upper class, you have to inherit your money. Uh, if you know about the upper class, it's probably only because you know their ancestors like Rockefellers or, uh, Ford, yeah, yeah. Ford, uh, Carnegie, um, the, the real upper class is not showy. And I think in, partly that's just a defense mechanism. It's much harder to, you know, loot the wealthy when you don't know who the wealthy are. There's this whole other... I think this wasn't Alexander, though it might have been essay about uh, fashion mm. in fashion and class, where you're sort of, if you divide class into four categories, um, it was previously the upper class, like the aristocrats sort of setting the fashion standards that would trickle down. But when we got uh, the fast fashion industry... They, the elites, like, started, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg, like, started just wearing hoodies. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
it, it was too easy for the lower classes to copy the rich back when like you had an expensive whalebone corset and somebody would have to like save up for a very long time to get that or like painstakingly craft one themselves and by the time they had one the aristocrats had already moved on but now like as soon as you see a celebrity wearing a particular t-shirt china will crank out like thousands of them <laughs> like yeah. he could wear one the next day so i guess they tried to win their like, currently the strategy is win the game by not playing right i don't know if i don't remember if it was this post but he put a picture side by side of uh trump's residence where everything looks like it came out of fucking 14th century france gilded and crazy <laughs> shit and uh um god who's the oh god the name is slipping me right now but he's the hedge fund manager really rich dude there's a few of those. That's true. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't or remember. The Koch brothers or? No, it wasn't the Koch brothers. It, it, we got it. Richie Mc, McRich guy. Yeah. Extremely it, rich upper class dude and showed what, a picture like a of really his house. And house. Was, yeah. 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 You, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have guessed that it was his house. Yeah. I, I thought it was actually kind of. Oh, Sam Walton maybe because he lives modestly. No, right, no. Fair enough. <laughs> it's not in the post. So. But yeah, he, the, the point is that to be upper class, you have to have already been born into a lot of money and be raised in that culture from, you know, from birth, basically. Yeah. And I, I like, there's some pushback in the, uh, so we're talking about like the book review. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's Fusil's definition. I like how there's some pushback on that from Alexander later on, because I don't know if that is a distinction really worth keeping. You know, I mean, if, if I'm old money, but I've got $10 million and you're new money, but you've got $40 billion, mm -hmm. um, it at that point it's it's not about the money so much as it's just like the signaling aspect right like what do i do with my time and, and money mm -hmm. um i guess i can kind of see that but i don't know what it would there's definitely gatekeeping where old yes. money considers itself to be basically the aristocratic class people yeah. with new money don't fit into that culture because they just haven't grown up in it so they didn't learn all the nuances which is what one of america's worst classic books is about uh, is that Gatsby? Yes. Where he's like, I'm rich, but I can't buy my way into the upper class. Woe is me. Yeah, sucks to be you, man. Yeah. Um, there's also a good, a good book that illustrates this well that I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, just because I was like, oh, it's these people. From uh, Tana French's The Likeness. Mm. The people who all live in that house. Especially like the guy who inherited it. Mm -hmm. They're all doing the full like upper class lifestyle, right? Yeah. And in fact, they're, they're doing it even though they're not that, they don't have that much money. Right, right. Right. You don't have to have money to be upper class. You right. You just have to have come from that culture and have those values. And the, the other like one defining characteristic is they're never trying to prove anything because they have nothing to prove. Yes. And so they, they're like, they don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And they're, they, you know, they're not throwing nice parties because nice parties that show that I have to prove that I have money to throw nice parties and I have nothing to prove. Right, right. Um, so they'll throw boring parties uh <laughs> much like gatsby i'm sure right yeah um i'm sure that they had nice champagne or something but you know no price tags on it or something whatever yeah 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 he says also that um jeff bezos for all his billions is only upper middle class at best because he still had to work to get that money yeah I, uh -huh. I think at the point Lazy. i guess yeah <laughs> working and i i think the reason I'm, I'm like i just don't like necessarily that hard line is because I don't, I don't know what the useful distinction is then saying, all right, yeah, so we've got old money. It doesn't matter how much money you have. That's this own separate group. But is Bezos out there trying to demonstrate his wealth to people and like doing any of the things that upper middle class people do? No, I don't think he does. Not really. So yeah. then it, all of his behaviors also indicate old, you know, or also indicate upper class. I do not think his behaviors indicate upper class. Well, if he's doing, if he's not, if he's doing the one thing, which is not trying to prove anything to anybody. Well, no, he's working. He's not performatively not trying to prove anything. Right. He <laughs> cares that, that his business is successful and that he you know 
keeps it growing. Oh, right. Because I guess if you're the real upper class, you're not even maintaining a business anymore. You're just riding on the coattails of your ancestors who gave you money. Yeah, living off interest or something. Okay. All right. Well, that's fine. I guess I just, I, I find that an almost an arbitrarily niche group, mm-hmm. but that's fine for the purpose of... Like, I don't I think, think they are. I think those are large groups. And I think you don't necessarily need to um, even not care about anything. The, oh, what was the guy I just heard about on the Doofcast? The guy who uh, did the Coraline movie or funded it anyway. He's a the son of the Kellogg uh, Wait, fortune. Tim Burton? No, 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 not Tim Burton. Uh, the, the guy who financed it. Oh. He's the son of the Kellogg's fortune, and he like spends all his time and a lot of his money just making stop-motion movies that are beautiful and usually almost nobody sees, and that's just all he cares about. And, you know, that's interesting. It's in each interest. He's doing something. He's making the world richer, but it's like he's not doing it for the money. He, he, like, the money doesn't even come into a consideration. He's just kind of living his life. He's just patronizing the arts. But yeah. the fact that he's working hard doesn't seem to indicate upper class, right? But... He, should be, he should be sitting around doing nothing but, you know, sniffing expensive wine all day. That's that's where I still get, like, squinty-eyed at it, where I'm like, people, that was another thing that, I guess, aristocratic classes are known to do, patronize the arts. Yeah, and and he's a hobbyist. It's like, I, well, I, I support patronizing the arts. Me like, too. I actually think it would be awesome if, there were like if we could shift culture to be a lot more like you know how you can display that you have lots of money like make a charitable foundation like the against malaria foundation or or even patronize the arts like no i mean i agree with you that would be great but also i think that is like that is a sign of the middle class because you're trying to because you're showing you care about something yeah exactly like i had no idea that this guy even existed he just like makes these movies and stuff because he enjoys it but that's that's where I found that distinction kind of arbitrary. Like he's he works hard because he cares about stuff. Well, but yeah, but that he seems, enjoys that seems to indicate it. It's, that, it's... Yeah, but that seems to indicate that he's he's doing stuff right, and he cares about doing a good job. Yeah, like I thought. The I whole... think you're allowed to be like a hobbyist. All right, fair enough. I mean, I guess the the book review the uh, Fusel was not crazy clear on like to me what it actually entailed. It seems to be explicitly. I have money. I don't have to do anything. Right, I think right. it is really hard to define, and that's probably why the book seems so vague. Can we like read the? Can I read the paragraph about flowers? Yes. Uh, yeah, that this is actually the one right after he says, "Fussle." A lot of things, really. Sometimes it's hard to know whether to take him seriously. What is one to make of paragraphs like? Anyone imagining that just any sort of flowers can be presented in front of a house without status jeopardy would be wrong. Upper middle class flowers are rhododendrons, tiger lilies, amaryllis, columbine, clematis, and roses, except for bright red ones. And I'm that that freaked me out because I was like, that was my grandmother's garden. <laughs> <laughs> like the yeah, the rhododendrons and the tiger lilies. Hmm. One way to learn which flowers are vulgar is to notice the varieties favored on Sunday morning TV religious programs, like hmm. Rex Humberds or Robert Schuller's. There you'll see primarily geraniums, red or lower than pink poinsettias and chrysanthemums and you know instantly without even attending to the quality of the discourse that you're looking at a high prole setup sure dude you know instantly <laughs> other prole you can name flowers include anything at. too vividly red like red tulips d-classed also are phlox zinnias salvia gladioli uh begonias dahlias fuchsias and petunias members of the middle class will sometimes hope to mitigate the vulgarity of bright red flowers by planting them in a rotting wheelbarrow or a rowboat displayed on the front lawn but seldom with success <laughs> And then there's another whole paragraph about desks, and then another one about wh- when, what time you eat dinner. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, this is definitely pointing at something because I've, like, I have family members that fall into these different classes, and I, like, as a kid, was always super confused by it until, like, I finally learned about signaling, and then I was like, oh, 
Yeah, see, I have dinner at 9.30, so I'm upper class. Does it matter that I'm eating uh, freezer nope. waffles off a paper plate in bed? Like, that doesn't sound very high class, but the time sure does. I mean, I, I think it has to be a confluence of various, yeah, indicators. It seems like what's going on is that we have these stereotypes about what things belong to which class, some of which are true and some of which aren't. Yeah. And maybe they were true at one time, but just it's all shifted and we're still kind of stuck in the 1950s stereotypes because we started portraying them that way that during that time period on TV and whatnot. And Fusil gets to signal his uh, his class by being able to list off at at a glance 30 different kinds of flowers. Right. Where I'm like, I think that's a rose. <laughs> and like, that's about it as far as my plant skills go. Oh, wait, I know what a um, uh, spider mom looks like. I don't like. know if knowing flowers is every class. I think I think having and this yeah any old gardener could know flowers, but yeah maybe flowers. But I think there's there's something about knowing a lot about something that doesn't matter that signals upper class mm-hmm. or at least signals uh, upper middle. That's why I don't like. It seems like the middle encompasses basically everything, and well you know, I think upper, the upper middle and the lower encompass basically everything. But, but that's like, also kind of the point. But right? the middle covers everything from like uh, you know Jeff Bezos to basically not a um, factory worker, right? Mm-hmm. And so. That I, I I don't so much like Fusil's hard lines, but I like the the general points that come across from this. Yeah. But I, anyway, like if you're the kind of person who knows a lot about fonts, which you might bump into if you do. I do. Right. Um. I, but I'm. But you have professional to... graphics designer. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, professional interest I think you know gets rid of the class from it or something. But mm-hmm. fonts or um whatever different hues of paint or or like I'm I don't feeling know. really called out here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sub, I know sub, lots sub, of shit sub, about useless stuff. Sub sub varieties of wine. I'm not calling out. I'm just saying that like I feel like this is a way if I if I knew a lot about uh wine, right? If I could write a book on it, all that does is signal to people well, one thing that does is signal to people that I have so much free time that I can spend it accruing all of this useless knowledge. Uh and that that that, that suggests to you that, oh, this person doesn't need to spend all their time working. Mm-hmm. They can if they can know this much about wine, it's because they don't work uh, so many hours that they, that they can't read books on wine or something, right? Right. Well, and I think also a lot of it is also the attitude. Like, I don't think Jeff Bezos could ever be in that sort of aristocratic elite area, but like his kids probably could. If they spent their lives immersed in that uh, culture with their, you know, they bought their way into those neighborhoods and they had those peers and they went to those schools and they didn't have to do work. Or, you know, if they did, like you can be an inheritor to a large company and keep running it and still be super upper class if you don't really get your hands dirty like his kids could be there i just don't think he ever would fair enough yeah i'm, I'm just willing to just leave all that aside because I, I don't i get the distinction that it's making but i don't know if i it again i like how jace put it, it makes me squint mm. but not enough to hold the conversation on anymore so yeah i'll just take it for granted uh for the sake of the discussion yeah he does say that the middle class is marked by status and anxiety Upper middle class, like people like Jeff Bezos, uh, have already made it, so they're fine. They aren't anxious. But the uh, middle class actually is pretty anxious about their situation. And, I uh, like that a lot because that, that's where it's like, oh, and so at some point throughout the book review, he's, he, it's like after the flowers bit. And he's like, so that, that all sounds, you know, I'm paraphrasing, kind of crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why does he get to decide which flowers mean what? But this is where it starts to get scary. And he lists off like another passage about um, it might have been... Uh, how he separates super like, bowl parties super bowl parties and, and a couple of other things and it's like those are all spot on and this was for, this is a 40 year old book yeah um contempt for clothing with obvious brand names lists of grammatical pet peeves i i feel called out by by the um the brand names thing because i've always hated brand names on clothes 
I've like been if if I'm gonna advertise your product, you should pay me. Same. Yeah, but uh, now I'm Is like, oh, really I guess I'm it? middle class. I don't know. That's what I thought. Maybe it's just because this is what I've been taught by my class. Yeah, I mean, kind of goes back to our original thoughts and seeming deep, where I think it's you do kind of have to deconstruct your own preferences. And that's that's just where I don't get like this guy just decided this, right? So I mean, well, it's, I think it's an interesting take on it. it. Yeah, but. I mean, I think that there there might be good or bad reasons to, like, not want to wear a Nike t-shirt, right? Well, I mean, it could be, like, if we're being a little more introspective about it, we see people that we consider of a lower class, and they proudly wear these brands, you know? They're always flashing their brands. Yeah, so your only and exposure like, to it is tackiness. Yeah, and you're like, I don't want to be like anxiety. that. So, yeah, so I won't wear those, those symbols. And, I, you know, then you're like, oh, shit, I'm a classist piece of shit, too. I think that there's... and Because, the, I mean... If you read both of the book, if you read the book review, and I'm sure if you read the entire book, you're going to fall into these groups, right? So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't feel like feeling called out and be like, oh no, I fit in this pattern. I don't think you, right, should, right. you should feel bad about it because he's, he's describing at least at, at some, he's at least brushing on like every aspect of human life, yeah, right? Yeah. So you're going to fall into these groups. Yeah. And I don't think, I guess I don't know what, if, if it does mean that, you know, having a preference about whether or not you wear Adidas brand clothing with the word Adidas on it, um, if, if that makes you classist or not, but like then just don't care about that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This reminds me of the conversations that people always inevitably have after learning about signaling and economics for the first time, mm-hmm. where you start seeing it everywhere, and then you see yourself doing it, and then you go, "Oh no, everything's signaling. <laughs> Even counter signaling is a type of signaling." <laughs> and it's like, yeah, just. But that's what that's what humans do. It's not good or bad. Like move on. <laughs> I, I had the conversation with a friend a few years ago. He was talking about, um, is there any way for me to, to like tell my friends that I gave to charity that isn't signaling. And I'm like, there's no way to do anything that isn't signaling. Yeah. Right. And that's sort of the point. Like you can't even be healthy without signaling something. So like signaling isn't bad. It's just the explanation for a lot of human behavior. Right. I think similar to this, this, in fact, all of this classism basically is signaling, right? Yeah. And if you so, think, think of signaling as just a form of communication. Yeah. Then like, maybe you can try to, I don't know. I, I feel like people try to put moral judgments on this stuff when they first learn about class signaling and signaling in general. And it's kind of, it's that can be I don't know that can be an interesting topic for a bit, but uh, so everyone belongs in some kind of class. You just shouldn't be classist to people who aren't in yours. Yeah, kind of like race. Everyone belongs to some kind of race. Just don't be a racist. I think that in general you can get you can get right on you can you can be correct on basically all of these by just saying don't be a dick to people who don't like what you like. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If someone and, likes and maybe like you, the things you like for genuine reasons or like yeah. try to analyze that. I mean, if someone likes something that you don't like, you know but they enjoy it, like, just let them do it. You know, if someone likes driving a Lamborghini, even though it's a complete waste of money and it costs $5,000 to get the brakes changed and all that nonsense, it's like, if you like it, go nuts. Sure, you're sitting in traffic with the rest of us and your bottom of your car is scraping potholes because it's so low to the ground, but, like, that's you. You know, if you're having a good time, go for it. If you like watching Desperate Housewives, have a great time, right? Yeah. Um, if you like watching reruns of Marvel movies, don't shit on that person, right? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, at the uh, at the last class, last class, I don't know the the, the third class is proles, uh, short for proletariat. Uh, they do wage labor. High proles are skilled craft people like plumbers. Medium and low are more typically factory factory workers. All right, I'm gonna be that person. Is it prole or proley? Oh shit, I don't know, man. I, I was saying proles when I was reading it. In my I've head. heard people pronouncing it proles. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll go with proles then. I'm sorry. Well, you can I, say it however you want. Yeah, well, okay, I'm, like... I'm not sorry then, but I'll say it the right way. So there. Proles. Like, is it plebs or plebs? Yeah, I don't know. I believe it's plebs, but I've heard it said both well, ways. I think they're both uh, 
what's like the contractions of a full word? Yeah. I don't know if there is an official pronunciation. Okay. But I don't know. Proles is short for proletariat. Yeah. I've never heard proletariat. So, okay. Anyways, yeah. They really like mass culture and uh, they watch like Transformers and shit. <laughs> and uh, he points out that there's uh, the, these classes, like, there's there are three different ladders on which you can rise or fall. Like, you can become really rich as a proli and uh, still. You know, you can be Michael Bay, I guess, <laughs> uh, but uh, but you're still proly class, and you can be a super upper class person and just be destitute because you decided to go into I don't know 17th century art history, <laughs> and you know everything there is to know about that, and you live off the little bit of interest that you get every month from your parents, but it's barely enough to buy your cigarettes. The dictionary only has the little line over the O on prol, so I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, what I really liked about this was that it it demarcates income from class yeah like uh social worker makes forty thousand dollars a year teacher makes forty thousand dollars a year but they're upper class because of their interests and like how they um how they conduct themselves and their attitudes towards things how they vote yeah what they what they're signaling with their purchases and likewise if you're a lumber baron and you make 400k a year Mm -hmm. you're still low class right Mm -hmm. or Um, like a famous nascar driver yeah (laughs) they could be like yeah I, i think sports stars generally like you're kind of you're in the usually you're coming from the low class that's a weird that's a weird thing actually but this is where like i get confused like he talks about uh cruises Mm -hmm. as like vacations Mm -hmm. and oh and the people that would respond with like i would never take such a cookie cutter vacation like i'm gonna go to bali and ride a raft made out of sea turtles (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) like i for me it's just like i don't get how who decided? Was it just Russell? Did he observe that people felt this way about cruises? I think he observed it. Because yeah. like, I have observed I've, everything. I've known, upper I've known, class go backpacking through Europe. But I've known upper middle class people who who do cruises. Okay. And I don't know any uh, lower. I guess poor people have done cruises. Not not necessarily poor because that's not the point. But I know people who fit into these low class. Uh, what he what he, what, the, what he calls low class labor work, mm-hmm. and they they do more of the upper class vacations. Okay. And so, and I guess it's not supposed to be where like everyone fits. Might be your aspirational class. Maybe. I mean, can I'm... I tell the story real quick? Yeah. Uh, this is actually kind of illustrative or something. Uh, so my parents both. I don't know if either of them even have GEDs, but neither of them went to college. But they're both business owners. And then me and my two sisters all went to college. And my sister, my my, I'm the oldest of so the the middle sister. Um, for Christmas. She got a teacher. She got like a job teaching and had like decent money and bought my parents uh, tickets to for a cruise. Mm. And they refused the gift and made her to return it. Wow! Because it, and it seemed very much just that like no, this is like we're not the kind of people that go on cruises. Huh. Oh, this is too expensive. This is too flashy. We can't accept this. So, like they felt super uncomfortable with being given a nicer gift like from their kid because that was that like just violated the order of things. Okay. I also like how their their refusal was based on the seems too upper class for yeah, us. Yeah, they're like, oh, I'd be so out of place. Like, it, it just, it was complete status anxiety. Like, I can't accept this nice gift because it's going to, like, I know my mom would just be really upset about all the rich people mm-hmm. or, like, the being surrounded by people she perceives as being higher class. It was always this, like, weird thing with both of my parents and especially my mom where there's this, like genuine hatred of the, the upper classes and anything associated with them but where the, even like it was weird where they'd make fun of like people with college degrees but then also like strongly encouraged me and my sisters to go to college right 
it seems like they fit neatly into that upper middle class or into that middle class group of like status anxiety. Oh yeah. Where like uh, like the, the upper lower class and the lower class. class don't have that, but the middle class has like a lot of anxiety about how they're being perceived by people, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Like as far as I wouldn't buy a cruise just because I don't know if I'd enjoy being on a boat that long. But if someone got me a ticket for a cruise, I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah, it know? sounds fun. Yeah. And I always enjoy the opportunity to like interact with different people. I just figured I could lay by the pool and eat as many shrimp as I could just to see what it does, right? <laughs> that might not what? be the best idea it's like on Jake a boat, Peralta but... when they go on the cruise. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that went over in my head, but now that you've pointed out. Living in the full-on slug life. We had the best lower middle class boat. It was like a small cobia boat that my dad liked. What's just... cobia? It's like a brand of boat. Oh. It's, a, it's a small, like, kind of shitty boat. I don't know. But he stuck a gigantic engine on it, so it had like a speedboat engine. It was like a total like Franken boat. Right. Like we, my dad loved tinkering with stuff, so we grew up with like Franken bikes and we had Franken cars, and then that was our Franken boat. See, I'm confused because owning a boat seems like upper middle class to me, but the power boat is like power boating yeah. is lower class, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're upper class, you sailboat. Yeah. yeah. No engine. And if, you're, <laughs> and, if, and if you're really upper class, you've just you've got yachts or wood yachts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, and, and the upper 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 class just buy a bunch of yachts to crash into each other to see what sound it makes. Uh, I have another story about that. I should stop telling stories though. I feel like I can't not tell that because uh, just there was someone I was doing graphics design for who's this like wealthy guy from Florida who came into Atlantic City and was trying to buy one of the casinos or did buy one of the casinos. It didn't work out, but like this dude was just wild. He brought his yacht because he didn't want to stay in any of the hotels in Atlantic City so he like brought his yacht <laughs> and they're not meant to overwinter he, hmm. but he didn't know or care so it was actually like a guy who hired me for different graphics design jobs I remember he was telling me he told me this story and it's much better because he saw it happen it started snowing and uh this guy Bill he was like really anxious whenever it snowed because he like was scared of being snowed in so he'd always like go out to a diner and as he said he went to Atlantic City he's sitting there watching the water I guess and then starts to see this yacht coming towards land <laughs> this yacht unmoored itself and crashed into the, the like Atlantic City Harbor <laughs> oh shit <laughs> because yeah this guy just had to have his his, his yacht to live in hmm so, but like I'm just imagining sitting there in a diner eating some soup and you see it coming closer and closer and you're just like not supposed to be there <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna crash into me so shall we move on yeah okay i think the reason this is particularly interesting uh recently is because of the uh follow-up post he made where he said that um <sighs> that classism is kind of a big deal but no one is talking about it right now and the republicans could seize on this to actually make something of the party again rather than the flaming pile of vomit and wreckage that it is currently <laughs> This one is exact words, but yeah. Yes. And it's not far off. Yeah. I like it. It's like, look, I hate you and you hate me. Yes. But I would rather you guys develop yourself into like a coherent message that like you can actually articulate yourselves behind just to make it so that my side has to like actually level up to compete with it. Yeah. yeah. If, you guys, if you guys weren't a bunch of bumbling morons, it would like because you guys are a bunch of bumbling morons and I'm paraphrasing his, his stuff. It means that my side doesn't have to shape up whatsoever because all they have to do is not totally suck yeah, to yeah. do better. But if you guys like, didn't, what are you going to do? Vote for the that guy? Yeah. yeah. If you guys didn't suck so hard, then my side would have to shape up and that looks great. Yeah. Yeah. And see, so he does this by pointing out that Trump did not win on a platform of capitalism or liberty or anything else. He won on a platform of being anti-establishment and the establishment that he stood against was the upper class. 
uh, people who live in nice apartments in Manhattan or San Francisco or D.C. and laugh under their breath at anyone that comes from Akron or Tampa. Is it Akron? Akron or Tampa? And um, yeah, that that is absolutely the impression that I got, that Trump was the the like president of the lower class, even though he never said anything like that. Like the, the like everything about him screamed that the way the media portrayed him was they are pissed off that someone this low class and crude got into the presidency, right? Well, what's fun, just a picture about like how, because then you wonder like, all right, what about class and money? Um, You know, Trump's no doubt lying about his exact figures, but Mm -hmm. let's assume he's got some. Like, he's the guy who would, you know, drink a six pack of Coca-Cola a day and have his limousine driver take him through McDonald's drive-thru. And then, you know presumably have explosive diarrhea on his gold gilded on his literally gold gilded toilet right yeah and so the 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 money aspect isn't really playing a role there neither is all this flashy shit like he's as low class as it comes right it's not that he has the money it's that he still feels the need to signal that he has the money and you can't signal louder than a golden toilet and when you're when you're shitting up mcdonald's and coca-cola like it's it's just it it emphasizes that point right or a or a well-done steak with ketchup on it like the the guy and and the, uh, I only know a couple of like his eating habits. Well, I know the McDonald's one because when the basketball team came right, during the furlough, and, yeah. Oh, they're, they're, they're we've got the best eaters. And it's like, oh my god, I forgot how that guy talked. I love I haven't heard a fucking thing. You know, having that guy off Twitter has made the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. The uh, the the class aspect of it isn't like how many Big Macs can I buy. It's the fact that he's eating Big Macs. Yeah. And so it's the the establishment. And the the classism that he was winning, that he won his campaign on, his platform, wasn't like against the rich, because he had a bunch of rich friends. His cabinet was, was largely wealthy people. He's technically um, rich, if you believe all the signaling he does. Right. Yeah. And if you're to look at his properties, he'd probably have enough. He'd probably have more money than all of us put together. Right. 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 So you know, there's all that. But it was the um, so so the class that he's articulating against, and I might be jumping ahead here is the elites yes those who think they're better than you yes right? exactly now granted those who call all the other states the flyover states yeah and like i you know i we eat thai food and think they'd gain 200 pounds if they stepped in a mcdonald's and won't even speak the name chick-fil-a and go to ivy league college there's a long list <laughs> I, I love being in the middle on this uh you know like my wife went to an ivy league college she doesn't brag about it but i do mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and yet we had chick-fil-a like last weekend right mm-hmm. so i you know we're just fuck all the norms we'll just zigzag as much as we want right yeah again i'll eat i'll eat dinner late like a rich person but i'll have i had waffles for dinner on thursday night right so so i don't know if this is worth bringing up but um having met your wife she very much gives off an upper upper class vibe because she's sophisticated yeah 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 Yeah. well that's cool i mean yeah i guess that makes sense but again she's a social worker right so Mm -hmm. she it's it's not about the the money right right it's just the it's the culture yeah Yeah. the, the attitude and the culture i guess yeah um and i don't know exactly how she does it but like you can just tell. You're like, huh, okay, that, that person's classy. It's because normal plebs like us aren't that beautiful. <laughs> that, that must be it. It's at least part of it. Yeah, yeah. Your wife is very conventionally attractive, but she also is, there's, there's like mannerisms that clearly are just part of like class she grew up in. That, like, I, I would feel weird breaking it down <laughs> since she's not here to like defend herself. But <laughs> and you know, there's, there's, there's very certain... attractive lower class people too. So like, oh yeah, I'm being somewhat tongue tongue in cheek. Yeah, but... like you said, there's certainly a mix. Like you still eat at Chick Fil A. You guys went to the same school together, so I think that's if nothing being else. She class. wasn't in a European boarding school. Yeah, I mean, she went to she went to public school. Yeah. Um, it was just like uh, Colorado State University didn't accept her for a master's program, and for some reason Columbia did. So 
Um, well, I, honestly, the real reason is probably because CSU wanted to have out-of-state people because they get to charge them 3x, right? Mm. So, anyway. Yeah, what do, what do we think about this uh, modest proposal? <sighs> well, I think that he's right about Trump ran on classism. Like, the people who love him... But he never used though, the word. No, he never used the word. But you could tell. Just, you don't need to use the word to tell. To Your actions speak much louder than any words do. Whatever he said was immaterial, as was proven by him many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the people who support him, even though lots of times they're hurt by any, in, any of his policies, individual policies that you care to mention, it doesn't matter because he's from their class and he's the only person from their class that in, that's in the political game of, of at least at any really important level. Everyone else, for the most part, is upper class people. Maybe there's a few upper middle that have made it in, like uh, uh, AOC, but... There's no of no one in the the lower class, the proly class or prol class representing them, and he does, and that's fucking nice to see. And you're willing to vote for like one douchebag who's kind of an idiot, as long as like he's the one person representing your entire class out there. Finally, sticking it to those rich snobby assholes that think that you're a bunch of hicks with you know missing teeth that aren't good for anything except working in the coal mines. Yeah, it definitely helps resolve the con- like what was a confusion five years ago about like you know, the uh, whatever, the NASCAR enjoying drive-through, um, you know, again, you, you just check the box down the list of what you call low class. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I thought you guys hated rich people. And yet you guys are a big fan of Donald Trump. And it's like, yeah. well, it's not about the rich part. Yeah. It's that wealth seems to correlate with upper class. But this guy's, you know, he does all the same, you know, de- the same shit I like, right? Yeah. Um, you were about to say degrading, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. But I don't want to, like, and again, <laughs> yeah, I, was main, I was mainly thinking of the, um, uh, uh, like the McDonald's diarrhea, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that sort of stuff. Uh, can yeah. you, can you stop putting that mental image in my head, please? <laughs> All right, last time. <laughs> no. oh, okay, that was it. Okay. Um, do either of you remember the title of, or some way like some Google keywords for another essay that I think was Scott Alexander, where he suggested that we have two different elections: one where you vote on the policies, and one where you're voting on the status stuff. Because I feel like that kind of correlates to this where... Yeah, that rings a bell. Okay, here it is. <laughs> it's the 21st century. Having principles is out of style. Mm-hmm. Politics is motivated by tribal hatred. You tell your people that the other side hates them and wants to kill them, they need to fight back. The Democrats are great at this. Cis white men hate you. They deny your right to exist. Their cruelty is the point. Resist or be destroyed. You Republicans have been caught flat-footed. You can't openly defend cis white men. That would be transphobic, racist, sexist. <laughs> and you can't openly attack trans black women that would be super transphobic racist sexist plus it wouldn't work and the sort of bitterness in the like having principles is out of style politics is motivated by tribal hatred just really echoes that essay that i wish i could remember the name of i'm probably gonna remember it as i'm driving away (laughs) that happens every time we record this podcast i'm like ah it was that thing maybe you could always um always text us about it later and people who listen to the show will know it immediately and that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Correct everybody. So, I do like that about our community. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that is, you know, absolutely why Trump won and why um the media hated him and couldn't understand how he could possibly get in. Um and I mean, I I do think it's a problem that there's an entire class of the American populace that is just ignored by the political apparatus. Not even ignored, but outright like shamed and mocked yeah and or at least pitied like at best maybe pity uh, i feel like there's not very much pity well it's I, like oh those poor 
you know, factory workers, you know, or those, those people who have to work in fast food restaurants, they, you know, oh, must, must suck to be them. I feel so bad. And like, I do think that there's some, some level of pity, right? Probably. I, I've definitely run into people, I guess, like now we're starting to divide Democrats, Republicans, like, or liberals rather that just cannot spare a shred of sympathy for someone who they know belongs to the you know the group of racist transphobic uh warmongering whatever whatever yeah. like education hating gun toting there was a really fun like eight minute episode of sam harris's podcast i think the day before the 2020 election and it was like his final like you know you talked about stupid epiphanies earlier or something it was kind of his on that with trump where it's like he's like i finally get it and it was like i said less than 10 minutes long but he's just listing off and he's like you know, consider the message that you get from your friends on the left about like how you suck. Every problem for minorities is your problem is your fault personally. You know, you're not good enough because you're not woke enough. Your 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 failure to master all the pronouns proves that you're a piece of shit, and or your failure to you know master them immediately proves that you're a piece of shit. Um, it's like all of this, uh, whatever. Um, not merely like kicking kicking yourself, but like your, the rest of your group kicking you down for not being good enough, and everyone gets points for every, every kick they get in. Mm-hmm. And if you kick yourself, you get extra points. <laughs> he's like, you compare, and I'm paraphrasing. Watch me checking my privilege. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, you compare that to Donald Trump, who's like the McDonald's Jesus, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're there. There's no comparison. You're, you know, you're never told you're not good enough. Like every fault that every quote fault that you have is just fully accepted, and, and that's okay. Yeah. And it's like. I think that's partly part of the message that makes this divide, right? Yeah. And yeah. That, that's, that's definitely like a left-right thing and not so much of a class thing, but the class thing correlates strongly with that, right? Yeah. Alexander Scott Alexander says, whenever an upper-class institution tried to make him admit that they were the experts and he should bow to them, he spat in their faces instead, which feels really gratifying after being subjected to what you were just talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really concerning, though, I think, because basically it was like he won on a platform of hate or disdain for dismissal of like wanting to overthrow like these elites but as you know scott also pointed out he was like doing like spitting in the faces of pandemic episode uh experts Experts. during a pandemic yeah like that that didn't that wasn't a costless signaling thing yeah uh well, that, that brings us to Scott's uh, modest proposal. Where I, I was going to say really quick, though, is I don't know if it was fully a platform of hate. It was just a platform of you don't suck. Yeah. But that wasn't and, what the platform, like, it, the things that people were, like, cheering for and voting for him for were his, like, making the other side really mad. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely that, too. I mean, and hell, talking that, shit that's, about them. That's how Democrats won, too, right? right. Yeah. No, like, I'm not saying that Bumper this stickers, is like... literally anyone but Trump, right? Uh, well, the thing is, when you've been feeling that way for a decade or more, like... It was a powerful message for people that felt totally disenfranchised. That right. somebody could, like, make it to the highest office in the U.S. and then talk shit about, I don't know, gays in the military. <laughs> and... like, what was it, that the riot is the language of the disenfranchised or whatever? It, fortunately, they didn't have to riot. They just had to vote for Trump and he would have the... They did riot eventually. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, his election would be a, basically a four-year riot that fucks the rest of the country. Yeah, it was a little. It was pretty fucked up. Don't get me wrong. There's, stuff there's, up. there's plenty yeah. of hate there, but I'm just thinking like, you know, the couple of Trump voters I know, they're not particularly hateful people. Right. I think, that, and they're they're, they're always going to vote. They're going to check the red box no matter what, apparently. But I think that it's it's for many, it wasn't just like, oh, finally, someone else who hates black people as much as I do. Yeah. Um, go ahead and quote mine that. Uh, like it was, oh, good. Here's a guy who's not telling me that I suck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's, uh, I don't know, I, you know, because. 
the professional politicians like Biden and Bernie, they do a pretty good job of like not shitting on you personally. Yeah. But you know, like, um, I don't know, maybe AOC, but even, even she's more just like fueling hatred. It's, it's yeah. not so much about like how you suck and you're not woke enough, but that's like the message you get from your friends. If mm-hmm. you're, if you hang out in left circles, like I do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just finally somebody was like, no, actually you're, you're good. And I got your back, even though I, I, I don't represent anything that you care about personally, right. but I'm not going to put you down. Right. I, I'm trying to. That, that's like it's almost both, charitable. There's probably ways. both of those things going on. Totally, I, I, and, and I'm, I'm sure that there's probably two different camps also of like people that voted for Trump because he represented them in some way, and people that voted for him because they had the same enemies. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to cut my, my most too. positive spin on how. Because I mean, again, this is just the thing that is important to keep in mind that like it's not true that 40% of Americans are just savage, bigoted monsters, right? Mm-hmm. No doubt, every savage, bigoted monster voted for Trump. But not every Trump voter could have it was that because, frankly, the country is way too well. Like I know a lot of um, our society is too strong for it to be the case that literally uh, four in ten of us are raving psychopaths. I'm willing to bet a lot of savage, bigoted monsters voted against Trump too. Probably, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I know a lot of people that voted. Oh for yeah, Trump when, were... yeah, when I think of it from another angle, absolutely, yeah. Uh, man, this I think this might have been on Radio Lab or something, but uh, where they were looking at trends about who voted for Trump, and one of the confusing ones was uh. First gen, first or like second generation immigrant business owners, mm-hmm. and talking to them, it was clear that they, first of all, thought that Trump was going to help business, and then secondly, had this like, yeah, I guess it was the the like sort of class familiarity thing. And I think the really fucked up thing is that the only person that these people could turn to was fucking Trump, <laughs> right? Like there was no one else. They this was what they were stuck with. That's because we're not voting on policies. Yeah, I guess that's the thing that I'm like bitter about with this, but. Anyway, like... So, yeah, so his modest proposal is that uh, we can actually... The Republicans can pivot to actually represent these people. And instead of being, you know, the flaming wreckage of a party they currently are, they can start focusing on that and becoming the party of the working class and put all their messaging on fighting classism. Whenever anyone talks about the white working class, you can always (laughs) say the white working class! (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and focus, focus on that instead. And that he talks, you know... This could obviously would uh, appeal to the people who are factory workers and working class already. It would appeal to uh, blacks and Hispanics because they're mostly working class and they hate the elites as much as anyone else. Uh, he was talking about the whole, a bunch of people who could it could appeal to. It could appeal to Republicans who are in it for capitalism because you'd argue that capitalism is a system that lets people succeed regardless of their class. Uh, it could be appeal to poor people who just want jobs. Passing out how DC Democrats passed a law saying all childcare workers must have college degrees and how this is just a blatant attempt to take away jobs <laughs> from working class people and give them to upper class people instead. And you can even position yourself as the party of meritocracy. And uh, because meritocracy is the opposite of class favoritism. What I like about this whole, like when you're reading this, I don't know about anyone else, but like I'm getting this sense of apprehension because mm-hmm. like this is like a damn compelling message and I don't want the enemy to be that powerful. And yet that's the point. Yes. And it's like if we if we get an articulate powerful enemy, then the then the other side, our side has to up the level of their game. Right. There's a lot of shit I don't like about Democrats yeah. that like I think that I mean, I'm, I'm like kind of excited about this. I don't know if it's going to, you know, here, here's a really good strategy. <laughs> Have it for free. Please take it. Uh, but uh it's coming from a like San Francisco Jewish intellectual doctors. <laughs> yeah. uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm worried about it because, like you said, it's a compelling strategy and it could get them winning a lot. 
and I hate Republican social issues. I, I'm on, you know, I think abortion is the most important right that a modern society can have. Um, and they're rabidly against that. Plus, you know, a lot of other things that I clash with them on. But on the other hand, maybe if they were to adopt this working class thing, they would have to modify some of their positions in order to attract. Well, can we uh, go down to the platform that he proposes? Yeah, the platform is really interesting. Yeah, I, I had but... a comment on just before platform that I yeah. wonder if platform even matters. Right, like nobody voted for Joe Biden because they they liked his take on whatever issue, right? Right. Um, they no, voted on him because he wasn't Trump. Right, and I think the people who voted for Trump didn't. They're like, oh, he he's uh, pro this or anti that. They're just like, oh, he's 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 on our side, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think it's less about like what an indiv- individual candidate's like policy proposals are or stances. It's more just like how well are they communicating their allegiance to me? Right. Well, that's and the that... distinction between like signaling voting and policies voting. Right. I really liked. Scott's other, I think it's Scott, uh, the other proposal that we just have two separate elections. Oh, and the thing is, you get one vote, but you only get to vote in one or the other. Yeah, in one or the other. Oh, so you have nice. to pick whether. Do, do either of you remember this? I, I it, It's vaguely ringing a bell, but. I remember thinking it was it would be really great because one of the things he proposed was that, like, so the policy, whoever wins the policy election would get to, like, do the boring stuff, like, worry about budgets and laws and. Uh, then the status side would get to decide what national anthem we get to play <laughs> and what the official dress of inauguration day was like like everyone has to wear a uniform and like sing a song and they get to pick which one it is mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah i i can i can see where that i, I like that I, I i think the idea is fun but i um i guess my last thought was about the uh um what was it what was I just saying about uh, classism and signaling and policies? Oh, right. So that, that I guess that's what I was going to say was that like you know there there are there are Democrat policies that I'm not like the biggest champion of, but the most important ones are like to me things like environmental sustainability, global warming, abortion is on the list. Um, like those, and it doesn't make me a single issue voter necessarily, but it makes me a plural issue voter. Really, like one side's pro science and education and reason, the other one's not, and like. It, that that's a somewhat harsh distinction, but it basically comes down to that, right? Like if mm. if you're if you're going to be a, a global warming denialist, you have to be an anti science person, right? You know? And that means that means that means that seeps into everything else. Yeah, right. But I germs think... aren't real. COVID's a, you know COVID's fake, and you know I, I'm being uncharitable there, but just still COVID's not real. It's fake, and also China made it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean I think the left has its share of things that it exaggerates scientifically as well, or denies or whatever oh my probably God. not as organic many, foods yeah 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 gmos are a fun fun example um mm. chemicals vaccines are kind of the one at least as of like 15 years ago i'm not sure where now vaccines are definitely a political issue where the left is all for them but five oh, years I... ago it was one of those things that kind of fit, uh, split evenly among the parties you got like oh the purest non-chemical liberal people and then the anti-science uh yeah Republican the, people. it causes autism well i mean even on the climate <laughs> change side like what's her name greta from norway Thunberg. okay yeah the 16 year old girl who was literally like she was very impassioned and everyone loved her and cheered her but she literally thought the world was going to end in her lifetime which i don't i don't know how you can in good conscience raise a child to think that that's like, what i was taught and well i started a college as an environmental science major and i dropped the major because the yeah the, the, and no one corrected her they that. cheered her on uh yeah at least everyone that I saw. And like no one said, look, the world won't literally end. It'll make things hard for a lot of people, and it'll especially fuck the poor countries. But the human race is going to keep going. And 
And I mean, sometimes you see some of the the estimations on how much it's going to cost to change things, and like the left doesn't even want to talk about that. Like here, we can change some of these things and talk about how we're going to change other things, and maybe we can look at geoengineering or something. And instead, they're just like, no, cut carbon, cut carbon, cut carbon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't matter who it immiserates and how badly the world's poor are going to be affected by this because they're the ones that are needing to boost their carbon uh, output in order to have better lives. And it's just just this whole idea that all you have to do, that all you should do is cut carbon no matter how much it hurts people or the human race will go extinct is a thing that I see pushed sometimes. And yeah, it, it's definitely... And re- it's wrong! And that drives people away. It's, it's a reduction to the absurd for sure. And it's like, because the the non-bumper sticker version of it, or because the truth of the of the issue is too long to put on a bumper sticker, yeah. it, it becomes like, well, the, the simple, succinct message is what gets pushed out there. I think... I think especially like the sort of anti-corporate message to like pig oil and, you know, the big agriculture... Uh, are generating all the carbon it's their fault we need to performatively say that we don't agree with them while eating our fast food sandwich like right. driving our car while eating our organic food that takes three times the amount oh, of energy inputs to grow right i think it's like you know yes the uh the messaging and often the uh the practice of solving it is misguided but they're at least acknowledging a real problem yeah, that they're trying yeah. to address right you can't just ignore it and so that's going to be fucking even worse right so that, that that's where i'm at it yeah. almost certainly will be yeah you know? i mean granted there, there would be possible to try and fuck it up worse than it just happens to work out yeah but i don't think that i don't think that <laughs> the push to cut carbon is going is that way right right um at least the left acknowledges that it exists yeah i don't know the any, right is starting to yeah they're, they're probably not buying <laughs> beachfront property in florida right? yeah yeah all right I didn't mean to derail us too hard there. I just, no, no. I, I, all I'm trying to do is like is is prop up with that it's possible to be on either side and not be an insane evil person. Yeah. Right. And, and I do think ultimately it probably will be good to have a strong opposition party because otherwise you can just do whatever and shit the bed and it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I've I've heard I don't know I don't remember where I heard this it was probably on some HBO series or something where some politician was pushing something and someone said but this is going to negatively affect black neighborhoods and he said. What are they going to do? Vote for the Republicans? Where was this? I don't remember. I think it could have been The Wire or something. Oh, okay. So not yeah. real. Well, that's no, the kind probably of thing that this would prevent. Exactly. Because uh, if people have an alternative option, then you actually have to take care to address your constituents' issues. Or if somebody is pointing at things that you're doing badly, mm-hmm. then you have to do better. Yeah. I could even see... I mean, like, I might vote for a Republican if they like advocated some of the things on this platform like, yeah it, i so this is an interesting platform and i, think I have that, like, comments about it afterwards yeah. but shall we go into some of it i don't know if both sides could have like stuff that i agree with and there's one politician who's like that they're running on the platform of i'm going to do this thing even if they brought a bunch of other republican shit that i don't like in <laughs> i just think it'd be fun if there was if it was hard to pick between two candidates imagine sitting there actually thinking and like i gotta like, do some more homework yeah you'd have to weigh the pros and cons of this policy package versus this one and i could see some cases where it might outweigh that where the benefits might outweigh the uh non-benefits god damn it let's <laughs> talk about the platform but, okay but, but, but i think i think to almost every one of a, every listener and every american you're like you're pretty sure who you, you know which side you're going to vote for 
because you basically know what you're getting or you've accepted that package, right? If it was a hard choice, I think that's what makes this propo- this modest proposal so interesting is like I could see myself deliberating if, if one side was articulately arguing the, the platform we're about to, to get into, right? Yeah. yeah, people would actually, it would make people more like politically active if, if it was like, oh, both sides have good points. Now I actually have to think about it. Yeah. yeah. Most people don't even like... I don't know. Uh, they don't even research their candidates or what their platforms are. They kind of just like go to the poll and be like, blue, 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 mm. blue. <laughs> so uh, first point in the general rebrand yourself as against classism is declare a war on college. <laughs> because college is basically there to serve the upper class. Uh, make it illegal to require bullshit degrees for any sort of promotion, which happens a lot of places where they don't even care what degree you have you just have to have some kind of college degree or how long you've been doing the job yeah 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 yeah. Uh, did you read this one this bullet point here that said just use the words class and classism say hey we republicans want to be the party of the working class we're concerned about the rising power of the upper class and we are dedicated to stamping out classism yeah i don't know if you said that yet or not oh i don't think i said it but that's the um that's like the setup for this the right? yes. and, yeah and this is how they're going to do it yeah how to stamp out classism which is as bad as racism if not worse and uh, anyone who isn't a Republican is, you know, trying to oppress your class or something. Yeah, it, it gives, it lets you have that same actual like superiority looked on your nose that that the right or that the right has or the left has towards the right right now. Yeah, yeah. That I'm a racist. Yeah, not really. You're a classist. Exactly. Yeah. This, th- those would be fun bickering wars to watch on Reddit, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because. Uh, sorry, you're still talking. Oh no! Well, no, I was just going to talk more about the war on college and why. Yeah, that's what I was. I was going to uh, mention that specifically says uh, ban degree discrimination, mm-hmm. or if you can't make it illegal, just make all government offices and companies that do business with the government ban degree discrimination. Mm-hmm. Can't require someone have a degree if they've shown that they can do the work. Which God, I don't even remember who this was that I was talking to, um, but there there was someone I was talking to not too long ago who had a. Uh, Jace, it was you, in fact, oh. wasn't it? I don't know. You haven't said what the thing is. It was a library position, and when you wanted to get hired on, the guy, your boss said, you already oh, do yeah. everything, probably better than someone we brought in new would do it, but we, you don't have a degree, so we can't hire you. The, um, Yeah, I, I would need a library master's to be a librarian, like with a capital L. Even though you were already doing all the work. And Well, actually, my boss was like, well, if, if you want to get a promotion, uh, you could, like... I don't know, I was considering it, and she's like, it would be really easy for you because you already know everything in the degree. Yeah. So you could just breeze right through it, and I was like, so I just but I'd to... be out 20K. Yeah, I <laughs> just have like... to bribe someone $20,000 to continue doing what I'm already doing. And do a lot of, like, you know, writing essays about, and I don't know, like, mm-hmm. working on stuff that I already know, which, like... Waste your life. Not to mention staying in that same job without prospect of promotion for, like, the two years it takes to get a master's degree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you. I think uh, you could do like an advanced standing program that get you through in a year, but it's like, so what? You're basically telling me just hang out, keep getting paid unpaid at this job title, just so I can get the piece of paper that says you're allowed to give me a better job. Yeah. See, this is compelling. Yes, it is. Yeah. There's and uh, trade schools are often frowned upon for whatever reason, even though they teach you how to do the fucking job. Yeah. As you know, I went to a trade th- school instead. Yeah, like two thirds of us are in boot camps right now, right? <laughs> or have been through boot camps anyway. Yeah. Yeah, because and, and you finished one, you could, you're in one right now, and yet there's still places I'd, that are like, oh, a programming boot camp, I need to see a degree. Yeah, I think, well, I think those places are fewer rare. and fewer, but they do exist. Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, clinical research was interesting, though, because they did the, I, I did that uh, boot camp for clinical research, and nobody 
like none of the companies who hire researchers are familiar with it. Hmm. My resume and like interviews had to include a lot of explaining what the course is and like showing that they are actually accredited and <laughs> that I do actually like know all the like federal, you know, uh, codes and so you were able to demonstrate that i knew them at one point <laughs> that was a struggle getting like coding boot camps off the ground too yeah but it's easier to walk in and demonstrate that you can you know talk the talk and walk the walk in an interview than maybe for clinical research you might know i'm not sure how you demonstrate your knowledge in that industry like in, in oh, an yeah, hour, no right? you can there was like tests where you had to memorize like 500 acronyms and <laughs> yeah no like i had to be able to like explain the you know declaration of helsinki and <laughs> but you didn't have to i don't know give an explanation of how old was uh, uh i forget the guy who discovered penicillin well whoever it was um the idea that you didn't have to recite the, the pointless trivia you would have learned in, in school yeah right? no it was like stuff that you need to know in order to do the job exactly I do remember Scott Alexander specifically complaining that uh, he needed any kind of undergraduate degree before he could go in for a medical degree. And so he got one in philosophy and uh, his, his, uh, the medical teacher, when they saw that, were like, oh, good. We're going to have someone to class this place up. It's like, I spent four years and $60,000 so I could <laughs> class a place up before I learned how to actually be a doctor. Motherfuckers. Yeah, that's fun. See, this seems to indicate that class aspect that i was talking about though where he literally you... used the word class <laughs> oh yeah well that that too that's perfect but i was thinking like if you know pointless trivia it shows that you have time to learn pointless trivia right right so if i can tell you how old charles darwin was when he whatever had his first kid or something does that make me a better biologist no but if you want to be evolutionary biologist and you go through the school program i don't know if you'll learn that particular piece of random trivia but my point's illustrated right mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i i think being as this community is already kind of down on college as a wasteful signaling game that steals years of people's lives for not much um, benefit, I think we're kind of already on this on this boat. That's part of what made this so like uh, th this this delightfully dangerous idea here of the proposal. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, check. I'm already on board with that. Oh shit, check there. I check all of these boxes, man. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. So the second box is the war on experts. <laughs> Which, first of all, I'm not sure I like the sound of that because I kind of like the experts when they tell me that, uh, you know, things about coronavirus. But then I remember that the experts also told me that uh, masks don't work because I guess they wanted to preserve the masks for the emergency workers and decided lying to the public is the best way to do that. And for the first three months after vaccine vaccines came out, they're like, nope, uh, keep social distancing, keep quarantining, uh, keep wearing masks. No, you still can't see your family. Like, basically, the vaccine doesn't do anything. Right, right. That was the message for the first three or four months, right? And it's just like, in fact, I think it was in the last couple of weeks where it was like, nope, you don't have to quarantine if you travel anymore if you've vaccined. And it's like, thank you. I fucking knew that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, why Why do I need your... So it's it's annoying. And that's part of what makes this fun is like, these are the same noises that people on the wrong side of arguments make, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I already know better than you on this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, most of the time you don't for any given expert on, any, on anything that they're talking about right yeah so like this this generic anti-expert rhetoric is it's, it's this, terrible for the most part right but it's but there are so many times where you can say um what about know, this situation where the expert literally fucked the public for their own gain and you're like well damn or so, even like just taking COVID again like if you if you mention that it's you know uh the average survival rate for people in our demographics is like 
99.995% or something. Mm-hmm. Like that sounds like a anti anti corona believer person would say, right? Right, right. Like I'll, I'll almost certainly not die if I get COVID, and that's just uh, that's a fact. I'm a basically healthy thirty something year old, right? right? So like my odds are pretty good. Um, but but to acknowledge that out loud makes it sound like I'm shouting from the red tribe, right? right? Uh, <laughs> I, and like I just looked this up yesterday. I think Colorado had 6,128 deaths recorded for COVID, and so granted, how many of those were uh, I don't know. Um, you know, Cuomo the way into like not actually COVID, but were COVID deaths. Right. Yeah. You could, let's say if you double it, right. Mm-hmm. There were still half a million cases ballpark in Colorado. So, you know, we got something like 10,000 deaths for half a million cases. So the survival rate was pretty good. Granted way scarier than a flu, but like the, I, and also part of the good survival rate was the fact that we didn't overwhelm the hospitals. Right. Colorado did a good job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, that's the thing is Colorado had 6,100 something deaths the United States had a half a million, right? Think, so yeah. we, we just, our state happened to do a pretty good job. And that's however you, however the numbers were, were came to be 6,128 exactly. Again, double, triple it. It's still pretty good. Doesn't, not a drop in the water really for the half million dead, right? So the uh, solution that he proposes yes. is prediction markets. Yes, this is the thing where like, I wasn't on board with this until he said, the solution is prediction markets. And then you're like, like, oh, what, what's that? Prediction markets? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, Isn't that's that one of my the words. thing that our, our group has been pushing for the last decade? So, yes, about the prediction markets. Yeah, uh, repeal all bans on them, give tax breaks for participating in them. Uh, then you'll get a decentralized, populist, credential-free, market-based alternative to expertise. Yeah. When the prediction markets outperform 75% of experts, fire them and say this proves you're right all along. <laughs> that government-sponsored entities were just a jobs program for the upper class. The remaining 25% of experts are cool, and you'll definitely listen to them very closely about whatever <laughs> they have to say. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of acknowledging that this one's a bit of a stretch, but you could sell it. I, I don't think it would be bought, but, I mean... I think it's a damn good idea, and if you're dealing with a Republican Party, which for the past five years has been saying experts are awful and telling everybody that, you know, you can't trust experts, and this is part of their branding now, they can't just drop it, this is God's way of, like, saving that. Like, you don't have to lose face and turn, you know, turn around on this. You can continue to say you can't trust experts and still be that party, but look... We can fucking do prediction markets. It kind of feels to me like Scott saw a way to hijack the Republican Party into supporting something we all actually want and think would make the world much better. And I admired that of him. It, it, he's That's one of the things that makes him a genius. He's a very like creative thinker, able to like articulate these. This is an original idea, that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I wish um, he was in politics, but I wouldn't want to... like impose politics on him yeah. <laughs> but like, him wouldn't wish that i'm a worst enemy but. he saw that republicans have this problem that they are now anti-expert and he has a solution which happens to really you know dovetail very well with his own goals and part of the solution is like you guys can be the experts mm-hmm. you know we'll deregulate prediction markets and we'll tax we'll tax incentivize them mm-hmm. so so you you guys now are incentivized to learn what you can and you know make money on this and so yes we still have experts but it's you the public right the working yeah. class you guys can be the experts on this when you make the right predictions like it's it's a very like empowering message and the idea you know what is it um predictit.io or whatever or predict.it mm-hmm. um it's like a 500 hundred dollar maximum that you're allowed to put in the inve- in the prediction market right yeah if it was 500 million dollars that you're allowed to put in there yeah. people could make some serious fucking money on this right. and even I, if you're only you know over an average year making one percent like one percent of 500 you starf death one percent on five hundred thousand won't be a comfortable living, but you it's can a, do it's something. A pretty good living, yeah. Yeah, it's five thousand a year. That's not a lot. Well, if, I thought it was fifty thousand. Oh yeah. I think it's more the, the sort of branding than like 
it's not the necessarily that everybody who's going to vote for this wants to be the expert themselves but like the fact that i think republicans whether they're super rich or super poor do just like all tend to be pro money though or you know pro capitalism so the association with money and what would end the yeah the like idea that the common folk could could contribute yeah or, or rather that like yeah the, the experts aren't these people who are coming from these like ivy league colleges and like he says sneaking in uh democratic ideas that are pro pro democrat bias into their judgments yeah uh i don't know if a, a real republican would actually like buy this though <laughs> i doubt they would but it's a elegant solution to to this we hate experts problem well it points out there's no other solution too where it's sort of like well what's the alternative yeah <laughs> so like maybe this doesn't exactly dovetail with the republican ethos but it's at least something that they could like pretend to support yeah, yeah the, the alternative is like there's two there's what they're doing now which is say expertise is a myth and those guys don't know what they're talking about or it's flip-flop and say you know what never mind let's start touching the experts this way it's like no you guys get to keep the experts in check mm-hmm. and it, just the fact that it's a like it empowers the populace in a way i think that's the the attractive part of it yeah speaking of empowering the populace and you guys are the experts number three is the war on upper class media why am i the expert on that uh well i'm not saying you are the expert you were saying that uh the you guys as in the uh the the general populace are the experts oh sure yeah yeah you can take over for the the upper class who are trying to lead you around by the nose the uh he points out that 67 percent of u.s families watch the super bowl what percent of new york times editors and reporters do how come 96% of political donations from journalists go to Democrats? Insist there is no reason any of this could be true except systemic <laughs> classism. And any other explanation is offensive. And it's upper, classes, upper class media's moral duty to do something about this immediately. Which I think is fucking beautiful. Because it's basically a mirror of the thing where, you know, they say, uh, why is it that 14% of the population is black, but uh, only 4% of CEOs are black, you know? This is could only be due to systemic racism and you must do everything you can to fix this right now which i'm not saying that's a wrong argument or anything but the fact that he can just completely flip it around like that and say like well 90 per six of political don- donations from media go to the democrats that could only be due to systemic classism which is just as bad as systemic racism and you got to fix that now they're, they're paying the government to, to reinforce their narrative for their ends you guys need to stop them yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i guess that one's less clear what it would look like does it just mean like buy a subscription to breitbart's Substack page it's, like yeah it's basically things like you know read blogs go on Substack, watch youtube don't don't watch the mainstream media channels anymore but there already is like fox news there is fox news so, that's so the problem th- this one i don't i and i haven't i re- i read this in february when it came out mm-hmm. i didn't get a chance to be reading the the last part here does he, artic- does he expand on this point that much? About uh, anti-censorship this? is a big part of it. Okay, yeah. I guess I can see that too. Insist that working class people have the right to communicate with each other without <laughs> interference from upper class gatekeepers. It's a really nice way of saying you should be allowed to say the N-word on TV. Oh, um, yeah. shit! <laughs> I mean, that, that or, or let, let, let's put it in a more defensible position, because uh, this ties into bullet point four about wokeness, but it's like, th- this says that you should be allowed to read Huck Finn in college, hmm. right? Um, you should be allowed to read it out loud. Uh, in front of a class, if if you're you know if you're pulling out an important passage and you shouldn't lose your job for uh, reading um, Huck Finn or or To Kill a Mockingbird or these other important books, right? Yeah. Um, so the I guess yeah, I I do like you said you pulled out that bit where it's like yep, let's just flip this whole thing on its head. So I'm not sure how I feel about that one in general because again, I'm not sure about the splintering of the media, but 
I mean, then he points to Substack and, you know, podcasts and blogs. And I'm like, I'm down with all those things and participate in some of them. But I feel like everybody already does that, right? Anyone who wants to listen to podcasts can. I there guess, are, yeah. There are right-wing podcasts. There is right-wing news. Yeah, like, but th- this isn't actually solving that problem. It sounds like it's he's trying to get anti-censorship. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there, there would be like a thing where you cannot be kicked off Patreon if uh, Patreon has issues with what you were saying, which I know has happened to a few well-known people. I don't remember who at this point, but... There was one really famous case that caused Sam Harris to uh, leave Patreon because he was like, well, I guess if I say the wrong thing, I'll get kicked off too. So let me take care of that right now. It might have been Jordan Peterson. Maybe, or it, was Jordan maybe Peterson. it was Milo Yiannopoulos or one of those professional trolls. I'm, I'm not really sure. But yeah, I, it's funny because that's that's my inner like statist, I guess. I like the idea that if I get on Patreon and I, I've got a podcast and I'm whatever, not merely throwing around the N-word, but like... Uh, advocating for for violence against these communities or something. It's like, yeah, you know what? Patreon's totally justified in kicking me off their platform. It's their house, you know. That, that, again, that's that's me, and that's how I feel. Yeah. And, and I realize that there are problems with, with like I think you gave it to me in the most like articulate way, which or in the most succinct way that drove the point home. It's like imagine if the other side controlled the platforms instead of our side. Right. That would actually we'd be know, illegal. <laughs> well, so then, then, then it's like, oh yeah, you know, if it was Fox News in charge of everything and not the New York Times, just to make it super simple, um, like that, then what? All my opinions on Patreon have to subs- have to subscribe to Fox News narrative? Hmm. No, we should just protect every narrative. All right, fine. Like, I I get where that's coming from, and yet I still find I I, I need to settle this, you know, internally, like, internally, <laughs> not not word vomiting through the whole thing. But uh, it is an interesting way to to drive that point home. It's like. Stephen, I'm saying this to myself. You're probably only okay with this because your side controls the right, the right side of the the narrative, right? Right. Like if it if it happens to be that the dark side controlled uh, the internet, yeah, yeah, then you might feel a little differently, and I probably would. If it was Joe McCarthy and this was the 1950s, you would be like, you know, I shouldn't get kicked off of the only way I can make a living. Yeah. Because you think that I'm a communist because I said certain things about how workers should have rights. <laughs> yeah. Or like me being trans means that I would be censored. Just like for that fact because mm. you're 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 an unwholesome influence on our poor young christian children yes. right yep. some bullshit like that that's oh why i say we'd be illegal i mean we're like atheist free thought like science pro science uh podcast we'd probably be censored yeah i could think of all kinds of of nonsense reasons that if the wrong side was in charge they could find reasons to you know kick all of us off um and you're I, right you're you're in jason you're uh, indicating but you can't audience can't see isn't it uniquely uh, tough position there because it you're basically at that cusp right uh, in the, the trans community i mean right like if things yeah. were just a little worse you wouldn't be allowed to podcast whatsoever right things would have to get substantially worse before atheists weren't allowed to podcast yeah but you know it, if, if trump had 10 years in office instead of four there's a good chance that we wouldn't be allowed to hear your voice on the radio which is yeah trans funny and horrifying like the favorite minority or the I don't even know what to call it. Like the, the the minority that people are the most like angry about yeah. <laughs> on both sides where like, you know, I'm, I'm actually curious who's going to come after. Like once trans people are considered like, you know, like gay men are pretty much like nobody cares anymore except for some like extreme sort of fundamentalists yeah. about whether or not they're, they should have equal rights and public acknowledgement and whatever. It's like, who's going to be next? I feel like some people on the right would probably say that they're already next. <laughs> I feel like it's like kind of, they're kind of happening at the same time, though. Conservatives, we have it so much worse than the trans people. 
I mean, some people can think that thought without laughing. I've met so right. many Christians that think that Christians are a persecuted minority oh that I know, deserve right? protection. Well, that's it's literally part of their religion. Yeah, it's like you know that you're on the right side of history when you're being persecuted by the you know the government in charge because it was Rome at the time. And oh, it just happens that two thousand years later they control all the government and everything. But that's still part of the religion. You're being persecuted. If you aren't being persecuted, you aren't a true Christian. So very important to keep that complex. Yeah, they're still trying to earn their gold medals in the oppression Olympics. That's it isn't yeah. yeah. Dude, now that you put it that way, they started the oppression Olympics way back then. Oh my god, is that where where the current oppression Olympics are gonna take us? To Rome? Well, no, twenty years <laughs> from now they'll be, you know, in charge of the government and everything, or two hundred years from now, but still be like, Oh, we're so oppressed. Probably. Mm, could be. I don't know, I guess it depends on if they whether they get the emperor to convert or not. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. I actually worry as a sort of secularism gains more power, whether that is going to, I mean, I, th I think we already see it a little bit in flame. Uh, like th those messages of we're being oppressed are like, people can use them right now to just like, yeah, win, win the gold medal for the oppression Olympics. But you like, no one really takes it seriously, but no one it, takes which part seriously? The, that they're oppressed. Like mm. it's not, I don't know. I, I feel like if we got like an atheist uh, president or, just the demographics started shifting. Uh, it would cause people to like fight more, be more like anxious about. I mean, I think Trump was basically an atheist president, but, but, he, <laughs> but people got to pretend that he wasn't. If right. Someone, if someone yeah. was like, "Yeah, no, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't go to church," yeah. and the, and they became president, then yeah, I think that would definitely galvanize the "Oh my God, we're in danger." You know, not merely from being eaten by these atheists, but our immortal souls and those of our children. I think it would totally galvanize all that nonsense. Yeah, I think that's going to be like inevitable, but still something I worry about but anyway the fourth thing on this platform was the war on wokeness <laughs> uh, i didn't even have to read any further i was like yep i'm on board but what does he say about the war on wokeness trying to find uh like a sentence or two that captures well uh it's hard to yeah the, the, the first paragraph is a bit confusing i'm not sure what this translates to uh as like and therefore we will do x but it says why are there... okay so first of all it says that wokeness is a made-up mystery religion that college-educated people invented to feel superior to you. <laughs> and This is a great way to like to pitch the narrative to somebody, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why are they so sure that some of my best friends are black doesn't make you any less racist? <laughs> because the whole point is the only way to not be racist is to master an inscrutable and constantly changing collection of fashionable shibboleths and opinions which are secretly class norms. Which I believe is true on the face of it. Yep, uh, there's definitely the like, wokeness is a form of signaling like i mean there's a reason there's a reason the vocabulary has to keep changing every few months because other people catch on and then they got to change yeah that's probably part of it and then like just the more terms you can invent like the the more it shows that you're thinking about it consciously the more the 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 more lines you can draw between people yeah, yeah. yeah like if, if you don't have the time uh as a rich person who doesn't have to do anything else with their time if you don't have the time to constantly keep up with what the correct words of the week are and how the opinion on the ground is changing then that 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 is proof that you are not woke it, it is sort of a class thing because who what person that's working for a living and has to care about like their kids and their yard and their mortgage and everything has time to keep up with how all this shit is changing every every few weeks yeah it's interesting because like uh I'm, i was trying to i was just think about this recently like if it wasn't for the mind killers i would have like not heard of the jk rowling thing mm. right now that does does that mean that i don't care about trans oppression issues 
I, I, I am trans, and my first response to hearing about the J.K. Rowling thing was, who fucking cares? Oh, my God. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't, I, who gives a shit what she says? Well, you're, one, you're, you're one of the brain rationalist ones. You're not one of the fully woke ones, right? Yeah. I say that lovingly, brainwashed into the right way of thinking. Yeah, but but like there are people. I mean, I've had conversations with people. It's like, yeah, sure, that person's trans, but they, you know, they're still against trans people because they're associating <laughs> with rationalists, right? Yeah. There's there's this you know uh, mentality that somehow the rationalist community is anti-trans despite having it's like really overrepresenting trans that. people in the community. <laughs> right. Well, they're they're all just uh, they're drinking the Kool Aid or they're they're those poor subjugated. You know, it's like um, well, no, it's the there's thing. actual trans people that are anti-trans according to the woke people. Yeah, there's the gay people, people that are anti-gay, I mean. Yeah, yeah. But uh the thing that this is actually punching against is like a thing that I feel like I should be able to articulate more quickly, but you have you caught onto the thing where like woke people tend to, like it tends to be white people saying you can't say that about black people? Oh yeah, yeah. Or like straight people saying like you can't say that about gay like, you know, uh it's actually like the people who do have the like sort of the funny like the the most privileged people that like I think there's like a element like, of guilt there as well as the sort of trying to signal superiority but they just like it's a lot of like well, white cis been... people fighting amongst themselves about what the like correct thing to do is I, I just keep being reminded of um this Japanese woman who sells kimono to tourists yes and uh, who heard about uh cultural appropriation like pe people uh on twitter or whatever like telling people you can't buy kimonos if you go to japan and it's cultural appropriation and this woman had no con frame of like reference for this i feel like you're reading your mind because that's exactly the one i was going to bring up in relation yeah. to this <laughs> but like so she's just like i think that there's like these woke people on twitter i don't know what woke means i guess they're like racist or something <laughs> <laughs> like why wouldn't you want to buy my kimono like yeah. i make them for tourists to wear and when i see people representing my culture and like being interested in it that makes me happy I never had a black person tell me that the movie Black Panther wasn't for white people. I've only had white people tell me that. I've never, I've never known a black person who used the word African American <laughs> to describe themselves. Maybe Barack Obama, but like he's a politician. Yeah. Yeah. No, he All had right. to do the woke speak in order to like be taken seriously by his own side while also belonging to like. I don't know. It's just it's really funny. But like the, my my thing was I remember the first time someone told me that. Like that. Oh no, I don't think Black Panther was for white people. And I'm like, even if every black person in the country saw it, it wouldn't have made as much money as it did. Mm -hmm. Like, are you saying that they don't want this movie to be successful? Because like, I think they did. And <laughs> the, I mean, it's just on the face of it, that sounds insane. Where do you, and so you're gonna tell your, you're gonna tell your white friends don't spend money to see this movie? That's insane. <laughs> Who are you helping? Nobody. Yeah. The, I mean, the vast majority of the upper class is white people because it's old money. It's mostly inherited. It's just the demographics of the era. They're still mostly white, and that is why the vast majority of the woke people are white people getting, you know, upset on behalf of minorities. Because it, it it's is actually an upper class racist. Yeah. Like in a yeah. lot of cases, uh, I remember. Um, I mean, some of my white friends, a few of them were black too, but we were like doing a Day of the Dead party just because, like, we tried to. I don't know. There's any excuse to have like a party mm -hmm. <laughs> themed around a holiday, especially if it involved dressing up, because this was also my like anime nerd <laughs> group. So like, we were all doing like sugar skull makeup, and the next year when Cinco de Mayo came around, this the same like or not Cinco de Mayo, goddamn it, the Day of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like the same group of people were like, oh, we definitely can't do that. Because it's cultural appropriation. Like, last year, it was it was we were like painting on skull makeup and having fun and like making traditional drinks and like <laughs> the next year oh, suddenly it wasn't okay and it was like there was this double speak going on where it was like 
that that's cultural appropriation we don't do that and we never did that okay. <laughs> like who dares like like i don't know there was a party where people are talking shit about the kind of people that do the same thing we had done last year okay <laughs> I, I find it interesting that lots of times you have to before you can appreciate a certain piece of art you have to figure out what the uh race or gender of the artist is because and, if yeah you're not allowed to like things made by racists well not or, no not just that like if um I don't know if like Ray and the Last Dragon was done by a primarily white crew, it would have oh, been not okay to watch it. I didn't see it. I think I saw the pitch meeting for it. I have not seen it, but that that is what it's I like have. It's like the one thing it. on Disney Plus that you have to pay extra to watch right now. Huh. Um, yeah, I uh, I like the kimono example too because it's like the, the the person selling this is like, yeah, I would love tourists to come give me their money and enhance my business, right? Mm-hmm. And what this this. 15-year-old girl on Twitter in America is going to say, no, no, that they're taking advantage of you. You don't get it, but I do, right? Yeah. It's so condescending. Yeah, and um, then, like, it's the same thing with, like, I've asked, a bu- like, a bunch of Mexican people that I was friends with or that I just knew, like, what what do you think about, like, you know, people, white people celebrating, like, Day of the Dead or Cinco de Mayo, and they're just like, I think it's great. Like, it's cool that I can go to the supermarket and, like, find, you know, stuff for this holiday, like, that we're getting more recognition as a culture. Mm-hmm. And... I see, like, the white people being like, well, you know, they're just wearing it as a costume. They're just using it as an excuse to drink and, like, and, and I don't know. Every uh, holiday is an excuse to and drink. And I was kind of like, yeah, that's what the, like, people who celebrate this holiday do, too. Yeah, this is a, this is a, it's like St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Even if you're a devoutly Catholic uh, Irish person, you know, it's still just like, this is a, this is a party holiday, right? Um, maybe if you're not that devoutly Catholic, but you know what I mean. If you're if you're the kind of Catholic who goes to church twice a year on Christmas and Easter. No, even devout Catholic. I think the only holiday that isn't a drinking holiday is Easter. And unless unless you're drinking you're... the blood of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't get wasted on the blood of Christ. That's that's a that's a sin, but <laughs> yeah. you know, getting a buzz on Christ is totally okay. All right. Buzzed on Christ. So it'd be a great wine label. That would. <laughs> You'd probably get enough controversy that people would hear about it and then buy it. I bet I can, if I were to go through trouble, I bet I can get it sold on the uh, Satanic Temple's website. <laughs> Kickstart it. Get some crowdfunding. All right. If anyone uh, does that, I want 5%. So that's weakness. Yeah, so. And that was the last one. That okay. was it, yeah. So overall, I I think he has a very strong point, And maybe I think this because I've been reading him for years. And this is something he's been kind of building towards for years. But I think that classism is a very big deal. And. I kind of get the feeling more because my parents came from Europe and over there it is just acknowledged as a thing that the different classes are in a struggle. And maybe this is like due to the old um, influences of Marxism, but like it's weird how no one in America talks about classism at all. And uh, I, I, it's boiling over. It's a specific thing, though, where like in India, you can talk about castes because they literally had like a governmental caste system. Yeah. Uh, but our whole like identity as Americans originally was that we're going to be a democracy and everybody will be equal. And we really don't want to acknowledge that we failed miserably. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, but it was a lie even from the very beginning. You could only vote in the original democracy if you were a rich white landowner. There there was like aspirational ideas of this is the kind of like, you know, we want to be the country of freedom. Okay. (laughs) And I think we still are very attached to the idea that we're the country of freedom and, acknowledging that we have class that we have like a you know unofficial class system makes yeah. people uncomfortable well and like you definitely get i think younger people talking about it especially online right mm-hmm. like oh the you know anyone who says eat the rich is talking about class right yeah um i think that 
this is probably like an unpopular thing amongst like voting adults because they either were alive or they knew people who were around during the anti-communist uh, campaign of the whatever 50s through 80s and so like that that was just so that was such a part of the culture for an entire generation that like oh no we're not we're not part of that class stuff america's transcended that that's like you know I, i'm assuming this is part of like the implicit message right mm-hmm. oh, we've transcended all that stuff everyone can be anything you know you if you work hard you can be the next uh elon musk right mm-hmm. um in fact elon musk worked hard and became elon musk mm-hmm. so like you could do it too the so like i think people conflate um classism with that sort of like uh the, the, in the sense that alexander's putting it they're, they're conflating uh the kind of like marxism class class uh warfare compared to like what scott's proposing here it just happens to be the same word i think class is sort of a scary thing to consider and like admit exists on both sides uh where it would mean that like people on the right who consider themselves like i don't know or like, i think there's the whole idea of the elites and like left-leaning behavior is signaling elitism although they wouldn't call it that but the republicans certainly would uh acknowledging that they're actually like upper class and performing upper class behaviors would make them feel bad because of the whole like oh no privilege <laughs> like they'd have to actually admit that this is like that the media is run by the left and there is because of class and uh, on the left, I think that there's, or on the sorry right, it's probably going to be scary to acknowledge that, or like that they're mainly representing the working class. Yeah, well, avert that there's there would definitely be an aversion towards admitting that there are classes in America, and I'm in the lowest one. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, like in order to, I think that would be actually the biggest like barrier that to this that... proposal, which means that it, in order to talk about class, they'd have to admit that they're not the best one. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right because in Europe people really didn't give much of a fuck that they were in the lowest class. They're like, yeah. they knew they were. Yeah, it was yeah. explicit. I like to drink. I'm a peasant. And someday I will kill the king. But you hear... fuck the upper class. But you hear people on the left, like, supporting Marxist ideas. And, like, people on the right are the people that are mainly the ones saying, this is America. America is great. It's like, you could be anything you want to be when you grow up. Mm-hmm. We're the country. Of, we love freedom and liberty. Like, Well, that's that's also the, you know, the admitting that we have class. Yeah. That- <laughs> that he was that scott was saying you know like you can say anyone can be anything um so the the not acknowledging that there's class puts in hidden barriers because saying anyone can be anything means that anyone can move out of their class into a different class it, it feels like a lot like someone denying that there's any race you couldn't have you couldn't address issues of racism you couldn't talk about like how there's some people who hate people of a different race and that's a bad thing if you couldn't talk about race at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing with classism. Like you can't talk about classism and how you should be accepting of all classes, regardless of where you are and where they are, because classism is bad. And if you can't talk about classes at all, then that's a problem. Well, I think also there's like the, you can be anything you want to be ethos is generally supported by like the old money people, or like, you know, like, uh, I think they're the ones who believe at least though. I think the well, old money it, are the ones that are like, it's a justification for being able to say that always be crude. the poor people are poor because they just didn't work hard enough. And I, I have all this money because I worked hard for it. I don't think they have any delusions that they worked hard for this money. I, I think they think they deserve it because they are of the upper class and the lowers yeah. will always waste their money and squander it. And It's probably a distinction between the old and new rich. But like, so like rich Republicans definitely would want, like uh, they, I think a lot of times like outright say, things like you know uh 
they're anti-welfare because they think poor people just are too lazy to go get a job. And that, like, women make less money than men because they don't really want <laughs> to make as much money as men. Or, like, men do work harder and earn the money. Or, like, I don't know. I like, like the... they, they want there to be, like, sort of a, you know... If class existed, then they'd have to admit that actually there are these barriers, like... And you you didn't, like, work for your money. Or, like, you, you did, but, like, this person is just as deserving as this money as you. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say, Stu? Oh, I was going to say that I liked the, the way that you put it, that in order to sell this message, you'd have to say, you know, y'all are the lowest class. Or, like, and, we are. Or right, exactly. I am. And, and, you'd and have I, to come out and say and that. And I'm there with you, yeah. But in you order, in order to the sell the message. Lowest. You would have to say we're the working class, that's, and that's yeah. the best class. That's what I was going to say, is I think Scott addressed that, but he maybe, maybe could have spent a paragraph on it rather than a sentence. He worked on rebranding low class to working class. Yeah. And the, you guys should be proud of it. You guys are the backbone of America. You guys you guys build the roads. You guys uh, build all of our stuff. <laughs> the Joe Six um, Packs or whatever. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in a, I mean, you know, plumbing is seen as low status unless, like, you're or Joe really, the plumber. Huh? Sorry, I'm just trying to remember. Uh, it's low status until you're drowning in your own shit. Yeah, because the pipes aren't working. What, what the hell was um? Do you was Joe the plumber the thing that like the Republican platform was running on for a while? Oh, that was a thing. When was that? That was when Obama was running. Yeah, wasn't it Sarah Palin that coined it? I don't remember. Uh, I was just gonna say that like it, you know, the the important infrastructure jobs are all seen as like low class. But if you rebrand it, I think more, you know, more or less correctly as like working class slash essential for the continuation of society. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, no, I mean, if you're if you're a construction worker, right? That's that's oh, that's a lowbrow working job, whatever. Yeah. But it's like yeah, but you guys like having places to live and roads to get there, right? Um, there's a term for that. And I'm trying to think of it. Like someone who provides essentials, like or I guess you could say essential workers. Uh, that might be <laughs> an interesting way to kind of co-opt that phrase from COVID because we basically think essential workers are like w- what we thought firefighters were during 9-11. Like mm-hmm. amazing angels slash heroes putting their lives on the line. Ooh, they could call them the essential class. Yeah. I think working class probably sounds better though. Maybe. Uh, something in between the there. Pe- I think yeah, the, yeah. the connotation could be even better than working class because that still already has kind of a lowbrow connotation. But during your speeches, you could say the working class, the essentials. Yeah, you know? the real yeah. American heroes, the ones putting their lives out on, you know, putting yeah. out fires and I'm definitely performing not in, services. Yeah, I'm definitely in favor of not shitting on people for having vocations that are seen as low status, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially because, like I said, so many of them are, are essential for society to function. Um, I It's kind of surprising how things shook out that way. You know, maybe I need to just up my history level, my my skills in history. But uh, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm just now mulling over the idea that like, why is somebody who builds houses seen as low status? Like, because if you're rich, you have people build houses for you. But like, yeah, I, I guess. But it's still like, uh, you I think know, knowledge work is higher status than labor work. That, but I think it's because it requires a it requires a degree. You know, anything that requires a degree or or a master's or like a doctorate is more complicated than learning to build a house. Sure. Or you could even just take the degrees so out of it and say, say that like some things are just harder than others at like the, not the physical uh, stuff, but like the, the cognitive stuff. Well, and right? doing physical labor just wears your body out faster. Right. You, you're in pain for more of your life. You die younger. It's, I can see why it would be viewed as more high status to not have that. Yeah, peasants build stuff and they, they get, you know, hurt and die young where yeah. you know, the nobles uh, have their stuff built for them by peasants. And eat caviar. Right. I think it's just that it happened that knowledge work 
was the most profitable in the last few generations because so many things are run by computers now. So much money goes into tech and yeah, knowledge works just, skills. It, it just grabbed it, the fact that like intellectual work had them has the most money means it has the most power. So it's like sorry i'm being like no no inarticulate today but it's like there's a thing i want to encapsulate where it's sort of tied to the whole like idea of upper class people having their like a whole bunch of degrees whereas if you join the military you don't need a degree you just need to be able to make it through boot camp and there's like yeah this kind of i actually i also dislike that though where it's like building a house is actually very complicated and Mm -hmm. like but there aren't house building degrees there's architecture degrees but it's not like if you were like to become my dad's apprentice, you'd go get a degree. <laughs> He'd give you a roller and a hammer. <laughs> be like, follow me up on this roof. <laughs> I think building a whole house is probably really complicated. But the person who, like the project planner for a house, probably needs to be the the quote intellectual party member of that. But like the drywall person, the flooring person, those are all things you can pick up pretty quick. Maybe for many people, right? So it's like uh, for some things, yeah, but not yeah. certainly not things like I mean, like what not, about not, coal mining? Not, not the plumbing and electricity part. Yeah, that's you know. Okay, there's jobs that are physically hard. Yeah. Maybe that's also sort of the shift away from like, uh, yeah, like valuing jobs that that could only be done by certain people. Or certain badasses who are willing to risk getting electrocuted. You know, like again, uh, electrical engineering pays a bunch because it's kind of dangerous and really complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, like I uh think I mentioned a few weeks ago, like I fixed my bathroom light or something. But the most comfort I'm level, I'm the most level of comfort I'm my highest level of comfort is turning off the circuit breaker for that entire part of the house and basically poking it with a screwdriver, right? Like that, that's as far as I can get. If, if it involved me having to pull wires whatsoever on the wall, I'd be paying somebody a, a nice chunk of change to do it because I'm not going to die poking at my own house. Right. Yeah. What about like IT? Like I'm, I'm trying to find examples that aren't, and I'm realizing that like a lot of things that we consider low class are physically dangerous. Well, IT is... I. But like that, that's like opinion, weirdly kind of in the middle, class. right? Yeah. It's like the high <laughs> level of low class because yeah. they're still basically wage workers. They're doing what other people tell them, and it's, it's not like that the most technical like I mean job to learn. A lot of engineers are more of the working class level than uh yeah than okay up- that's another example yeah like mechanical engineers but like most of the examples I think of are like jobs that are physically demanding or in some way dangerous like uh working on an oil rig uh driving a truck uh. You know, being in the military, being a coal miner, even just like being a bus driver. It's just like it's more physical and also like more physical, more taxing. And you're putting yourself in potential danger more than most of the like elite careers. Mm-hmm. There's some exceptions, but this would have been fun to think about in advance. But having just had the idea, I don't have time to articulate a good like answer to it. But it'd be fun to try and think of, OK, cool. We've leveled up the right. Now, how do we level up the left? <laughs> Um, maybe Scott will do a post like that, or we can think of something ourselves or the community. I think can. the rationality community is like, they talk about that a lot. Like, I mean, basically actually a lot of these ideas are rationalist ideas, like, you know, anti-censorship, uh, prediction markets. Um, but, that, that, but, that, but that's the conservative platform now. What do we do to level up the, the liberal platform? <laughs> oh, like which, uh, which issue should we pick that like we can sell to the Democrats? Yeah, I mean, I can think of a couple ideas right off, but I don't have the time or the brain juice now to I'd say like yeah, to make us over... the party of science. That's what I was gonna say. Is <laughs> my first thought was and like it's, full it's specifically of attack like organic foods and anti-vaxxer stuff and yeah and, and like dumb you know global warming advocates that just say reduce like carbon and or like you know the 
you're you're a good you're a good environmentally conscious liberal if you don't use disposable straws, right? Like that it the the straw thing is a good example of a complete waste of effort. Yeah. Yeah. Um you can buy a steel straw and wash it and use it yourself and then try good luck washing a fucking straw. Yeah. But if you manage to keep it clean using plenty of bleach, uh you know, I have a straw brush. It. Exactly. But I mean all that stuff costs a lot to manufacture and ship. Yeah. And all the chemicals needed to keep that thing clean are gonna be pretty hard in the environment too, right? Yeah. But hey, at least you're not throwing away straws. So like Sound environmental activism might be a platform of the left. Science-based uh, environmental activism. <laughs> shudder to think that you have to call it science-based, you know, uh, science-based science activism, but yes. <laughs> science-based science. We should probably wrap this up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, not before we think of hatred. Yes. Is it my turn? I think I haven't done this in a while. Go well, for it. Okay. Thank a person. Do it. This person we would like to thank is Soon Jacobson. Jacobson? Soon Jacobson. Thank you for supporting uh, all the classes, but especially the class you were part of is the best one. <laughs> and we're glad that you could help us uh, talk about this and and bring this to the people. The real hero this week soon. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> bring this to the real working class Americans who are the true people behind everything. That's right. I think for the most part, I think of rationalists as working class to middle class. I, I think we tend to be upper middle class. We have a lot of programmers. Yeah. <laughs> I still think programmers more of working class, especially the ones who've gone through boot camps rather than colleges. Because we're just weird. We don't really like slot into the p- political norms. I think also not really the classes. And they're not they're not wage workers. They're salaried for the most part too. Yeah. Which basically means you get paid. I know that like it, I it, I don't, I'm not sure how the distinction fits, but yeah. In any case, whatever class you are, listener, especially you, soon are the is the best one. So, <laughs> however you define class, unless you're the upper class, in which case take you're your money back. You're a patron of the arts. <laughs> they are a patron of the arts. Ah, good point. Okay, we like the That's upper class that patronize us. <laughs> if you would like to also patronize us, you can do so at Patreon, and you can be as cool as Soon Jacobson. All, All right. right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, and we will see you... Oh, 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 we should announce this right now. Next week oh is going to be our live episode. Which oh, yeah. We have, it's been like a year and a half since we did the last one. So we will be doing that through the Discord. We will post a link, and we will, uh, you know, be unmuting people in the Discord and just chatting with them and having a live episode. Awesome. Do it. Yeah. Do we have a date and time set for that yet? Uh, is it going to be Sunday at noon Mountain Time? Yeah, it's going to be Sunday at noon Mountain Time. Okay. And that day will be two weeks from Sunday, tonight. the 18th, noon Mountain Time, uh, which I should check what that is in UTC. Uh, MDT. Plus six. So or, 6 p.m. Uh, UTC. UTC. Okay. Or six or 1800 UTC. Okay. Yeah. So 1800 UTC. Uh, join us on the Discord. You can chat with us. We will be taking questions. We'll just be chatting with people, you know, having a grand old time like we did last time. Yay. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. And see you then. Flute.